Hello and welcome to Race Brain Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. I am joined today, as always, by Jack Bauer, Bracken Crocker, and Kirk DeWitt. In this episode, we talk specifically about the Savage series, talk about some of the ins and outs of Savage Race and kind of our thoughts behind it. And then we talk about the race that just happened this past weekend in Maryland, which was the fourth stop out of five in the Savage Series. So we kind of give you an idea of what that series is looking like. And we talk a lot about Savage stuff. Then we talk about some 5K action that happened over the weekend and some of the highest level of OCR athletes that competed in this 5K and some of the results. And some of it might be surprising. We talk about why we think that is. And then we talk about the top seven to 10 OCR athletes that could compete in a 5k who'd won on our team and why so that was really fun really cool discussion that we had so if you guys are enjoying race plane race brain please subscribe please leave us a review it's the best way to let us know that you appreciate what we're doing and to give us feedback to to keep it going so it's very very helpful that you give us these type of reviews just take two three seconds drop us a quick line and yeah, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, here we go. All right, we're on Race Brain Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Kirk DeWint, Jack Bauer, and Bracken Crocker. What's up, fellas? How we doing today? Little, little myth. There's no profile or or introduction here. I usually look forward to what you're going to scrape together from the universe about our our byline of our resume. Nothing today. I think it's ex- it's been exhausted. I think That's I've covered it all. <laughs> I was, I was all, really stretched there for a little bit. We're all better than Jack, which doesn't say much. But I, I think, I think we're just past the honeymoon phase and Rich just doesn't feel like complimenting us left and right. You've gotten enough, but we have uh, a, a COVID positive Jack Bauer joining us. Thank you so yeah, much. It's it's not good. I I know many other people have recently also uh, ended up testing positive, but you don't feel good as you, as you and Bracken can both attest when it happens. You you hit the the Spartan social trifecta. You went out to two different races and you came home with a communicable disease. <laughs> I went out to one. But... I wonder that if was it... a one race or a two race weekend. Oh, oh, I would. Well, I, I only did one race, but. Bracken, is that an STD joke? Oh, no. <laughs> did Spartan, you do that? Spartans wouldn't dare do anything socially or m- morally unacceptable. R- real, real question for you, Bracken. You were on the cruise. What would have happened to that cruise ship if. This was during the time just around COVID. Would that thing have been stuck at sea for like two, three weeks? Would have been great publicity for Spartan. Because I heard that uh, that that trip was just ridiculous. It was, but that was the population that would have just jumped over and swam the mile or two into shore and moved That's on true. with their life. Yeah. The 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 CEO of Spartan would have been, or the the founder would have been like, just it's not real. Just get in that water. We'll swim there. We don't have to worry about any of this other stuff. That is a good question, Jack. So today we're here to talk about Savage. We just saw the fourth stop in the inaugural Savage race series. So I want to touch on it, right? Because we we, we spent a lot of our time talking about Spartan 
It's the first year Savage put together a series, and it was pretty exciting uh, that they that they were making this step to make it a little bit more athlete friendly. But because this is the first time that it's existed, it, it, many of the athletes may not have participated as much, or uh, it's just going to take a little bit of time to kind of build momentum. But so far, it's been like pretty good. There's been some pretty deep athletes there, uh, pretty deep field of athletes. So, just in general. I'm not sure who's all done a set. I have not. Kirk, I don't believe you've done a Savage. I have not. Brett, Jack, maybe a Texas one is what I was thinking. Uh, have you- I, I was 30 seconds away from getting an axe, and then I got stuck in teeter-tuber for multiple minutes. That's you got horrible. stuck in teeter. That's basically just like a the low crawl that's a seesaw. right? How do you exactly. get stuck in that? Uh, it's very difficult when you're taller for some reason. A lot of people have had have had issues in it. Um I know Hunter, he, he said that he hated it. He did one before. Um, and other taller athletes just haven't liked it for some reason. This but. is my chance to just drive the knife into Jack. I don't know. I can't. Today, I did sick. the exact same thing. <laughs> you did? I was leading my first Savage race in Florida uh, two, 300 meters from the finish line. And I was st- just stuck like a dead bug inside a teeter to where panicking and panicking and you hear the second place enter it. And you're like, well, at least he's going to get stuck. And then you hear it tip and you panic worse. Oh, it was terrible. What's your excuse? Cause Jack's got a couple inches on you. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it depends where you measure from. I think that <laughs> the first time in it, you just don't have an idea of how to get through it. Hunter had it happen. I had it happen. Jack had it happen. All three of us are pretty athletic people. Hunter in a very straight line way. Jack's way more athletic than you'd ever expect. And I'm way more athletic than, uh, well, I'm probably less athletic than I like to think I am. <laughs> but then the average runner, all three of us are more athletic and we all got stuck and we're all six feet or over. Your first time in, you have to have a very specific technique and we didn't have it. And we all lost first place because of it. Like you're saying you got stuck, right? You're not getting stuck side to side like yeah. but like is you can't get enough moment you can't, can't gain get, purchase it's a, if it's there's a any physics. do inside yeah. it's a what physics is, problem you can't get past the center of the uh, center of gravity to like make it tip it, for some reason if you're shorter you can just like actually fit in there a little bit better and just you know maybe double shimmy up so, so i i don't know i just couldn't figure it it's out. length from here to here if you can extend up then you can brace against the top and go. And if you can't, yeah. you're like, you're stuck here and you don't know what to do with your hands and you just can't oh, move. I, so, so, so it's a long arm problem. You can't get your arms. Yeah. yeah fully this is extended. probably a 20 foot long, you know, supported at the 10 foot mark in the middle, maybe two and a half foot diameter. Like this, and then it yeah. tips. Mm-hmm. It pivots. But you get stuck right about here where you can't touch the ground. The second time I just launched out and then just like inchwormed and I was over in three seconds. But the first time I spent probably 35 seconds in there and blew a race. So Jack, I can commiserate with you rather yeah, than. No, it's, it's brutal. I'm, I'm sure there are many others. It, this is uh, it was, it was very frustrating. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Kirk and I would have crushed the teeter tuber if we would have done it. <laughs> I'm the shortest one here, I believe at five ten, aren't I? So I think that's right up my alley suckers. So Kirk, Kirk, not having not done one of these, what's your general take on a savage race kind of like from the outside looking in. Yeah. Um, you know, I always, maybe it's because I'm stuck in like past coverage I've seen, but I envision like fast running in almost every single savage course with maybe a very few exceptions. So it opens itself up to the faster guys. If once they can become obstacle efficient and I've seen that seem to play out. Um, and then I think it's one of those things where, um, 
like in a Spartan race. Can you guys hear lawnmower right now? Nope. <laughs> okay, good. Um, neighbor's cutting his grass. And like in a Spartan race, I feel like it's it's uh, it's basic enough where you can jump in and you could potentially pull off a good race in your first one. Whereas even though I've been obstacle course racing or Spartan racing for years, um, I would need to sacrifice a weekend or two to go out and understand the course before I would actually have success. And so it takes a level of skill that uh, is not demanded in other race course series. So that is my understanding and take from the outside. It's part of the reason why I just haven't sacrificed a weekend or two to learn it and then hop in. Cause once I did that, I think I'd probably be hooked, but that's how I look at it from the outside looking in. How close am I boys? It's not mountain based typically, which is what you see it most Spartan races also the the ones that I've done. And I think Ohio is probably the, the hilliest one that they have for Savage race. And most people don't think of Ohio as the hilliest place in the country. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would, I'd pretty much agree with that, Kirk, that you're, you're probably not going to see too many people just jump right in and completely dominate a Savage from the start where you could be a really good trail runner and have some success from day one in Spartan. If you have a little bit decent group, you guys, hmm. you guys are no, you know, you're more in the savage world than I am, but have you ever seen anybody? I know like VJ went in and didn't win his first race. We talked about that before we started recording, but has anybody hopped in and, and nailed their first race, come out with a win that had Atkins. the running credentials to do it? Atkins did. Atkins yeah. won his first, I believe it was in Maryland at the time at VJ, not VJ, the VJ of savage, which is Yuri. He was, no one had beat him. And I, I lost that chance to beat him in Florida that day in the tube. And then Atkins came out and, and beat him pretty handily, but it, it's interesting. It's, it's a three-part race. It is cross-country running on relatively groomed grass. It is trail running on relatively decent trails and then really tricky grip obstacles. And you have to have a plan going into them. Everything in Savage, you just lose time. Spartan, you can muscle through things. There's nothing to muscle through. The, the heavy carry is a four-by-four four log. The... Yeah. The heaviest thing you pick up off the ground is it's called scorn hole. You pick up a heavy ball and you throw it up one time through a hole in a board. If you make it through, you move on. And then the, the hoist they have is a chain that just gets heavier as you pull it off the ground. But it's for the men, it's really not heavy at all. So it's just grip technical obstacles, but everything you lose time on. There's one you have to sit down on your back and uh, pedal for the metal and, and roll up a tire rope with your feet pushing against a, like a, a, a spool and knowing which way to, whether you push or pull with your feet saves you time and knowing where to put your feet on one on each side or both on the same saves you time and anchors away knowing which side each one anchor has this. And you can put the, the ring on either side as you swing through and knowing which one to put it on each side and how to exit and enter. You, you just lose seconds, every obstacle and the grip is actually necessary so mm. very rarely does a fast runner win their first one and very rarely does a slow runner win a savage in general at all yeah that's that, that's what's interesting if you came into it first and i had this experience at ocr world championships i only did that one year and for maybe half of the obstacles i would come up and just not know what to do and i'd have to like look at it or have a volunteer tell me how to kind of get through it. And if you're not studying, if you're not watching this, or if you're not like very technically sound when it comes to obstacles, you're going to lose a ton of time when you first come in. And like I said, on the other end, if you have that experience, it's it's such an advantage. And it, it's interesting when I'm looking at 
the two races side by side, the Spartan versus Savage, and which one is a better test of like fitness, it it's hard for me to figure it out because it almost seems like Spartan is that even though a faster runner seems like they'll be better suited in a uh, a Savage race. But there's so much know-how that you need to get that experience to, to really get to that place of fitness where Spartan now it's like it, fitness kind of wins the whole thing. So what's your take on that? And uh, Jack, what do you, th- what do you think of the difference between the two races when it comes to like a test of fitness or does that matter? Yeah. Right. Like what, what are we talking about with obstacle racing? Um, I, I would say they're very standardized in terms mm-hmm. of distance. It would be like every single race of the super. So you know exactly what you're getting into. You can, kind of prep for that time domain most of the men's winners are about 45 and the women are low to mid 50s at the top um so you kind of know that time domain and yeah i I would it's not like you're just running up a mountain for 20 minutes and who's the best power hiker there is a skill element to it um and we have seen people like ryan woods dnf you um in the past like while he was kind of getting used to this Lindsay webster Lindsay didn't finish one last year yeah last year um so i i don't think that the fittest person is always gonna do the best you see the the standings even this year without you know doing spoiler alert you you might see nick Riker second or third i I forget what he got um a couple races ago he's not in the podium this time and you know everyone just shakes around but most people are are relatively close to each other if they don't get hung up on an obstacle so that speed does kill but it's not the same type of fitness that would definitely guarantee you success in spartan and, and then where's that put us with like what to expect because that's kind of the, the like what is an obstacle course race testing well, that's the big question here spartan there's no mystery mm-hmm. it's terrain and it's who shows up and if it's if you do or don't miss your spear, that's really it. There's no mystery in it. Savage, it's a contest of running speed and getting through the rigs because they change the rigs every single time. Mm-hmm. They they have so they have an infinite number of options for what sort of rig to put on that we haven't seen the same one twice. And they are willing to make things nasty. They'll put in a six foot lache which is difficult for the women. And then if it rains on those fat pipes that you're lacheing from, now it's a real problem. And then they'll put several bendy, kind of like non-stiff boarded objects. They have, it's called the Savage Cheese. It's blue, it's composite wood, not even real wood. It's, It's a plastic of some sort. And it's so slick when it's wet, but it bends. So when you go to grab on it, things shift and you have to know which side you should be on and how you need to balance even your own weight. So it's not just grip strength. There's an actual flow through it. So it's like you have to keep innovating your own obstacle training. It rewards getting into a ninja gym and then you just get as fast as humanly possible. Where in Spartan, there's diminishing returns on getting fast and there's Mm -hmm. diminishing returns on continuing to challenge yourself in obstacle training. You, you guys, when's the last time you sat down and said, I'm just going to get really good at obstacles or Spartan? Like, have you done an obstacle block? <laughs> like 2015, maybe. Yeah. Heavy carries, you'll you'll prep before yeah. Big Bear or Tahoe, but you don't do obstacle prep because there's no real need to. Outside of something like Ryan Atkins and Big Bear, staying in the race by taking two to three seconds on Lars and Josiah every time and then letting his downhills play. But other than that, there's no need or savage. You have to continually get better on moving through space. Otherwise, you can't use your running. 
I don't know. VJ, VJ proved it in slow, though. That was kind of a, a pretty True. dominating obstacle performance by him there. Yeah, it matters, but it's not a prerequisite to win. Yeah, I'm just adding on to your Atkins example. Mm. We haven't I seen want... a powerhouse win a Savage yet. They're all people who can finesse obstacles. Mm-hmm. Answer me this. So, like, if uh, let's say just take me as a case study, right? I've been doing Spartan and I've done a few OCRs. I did NORAMs a few years ago, the first year, and, and had relative success there. But throw me in a Savage race first time, and then let's say second go around. How much time do you think I would take off in round two, just off of know how, based on what you know? Like, how much of an advantage is it to have experience on course? You think I could take off a minute plus just from learning the obstacles, being no more or less fit than I was the previous race? Because that's my assumption. If you don't fail anything race one, and you just get better at the ins and outs and how to do it in race two, you'll take <clears throat> off minimum thirty seconds minimum if not 45 even if you didn't have any failures yeah pedal to the metal you'd probably get up there the first time and be like huh what is it and then that alone is five to ten seconds and yes an example my first time i got to there they have a cinder block you have to pull pull in and then run back i didn't know you could move past your stake with it Oh, so people were just taking backwards. it and running 15 feet and running 15 feet. I didn't know you could do that. You know, little things like that save, save you 10 seconds on that obstacle alone. This is highly un- unprofessional, but I'm here in Ireland in an Airbnb and things aren't working where they sh- need to be. Our converter just gave out on this power cord and my battery is dropping. So I have to rearrange in here. Okay. I'm going to mute myself and you boys <laughs> carry on. And I'm just going to blame it on Ireland. All right, deal. So, and this is one thing where, where, um, what I think about when it comes to training, like putting in an obstacle block <clears throat> that, that Bracken talked about, like, is that fitness? And I think about this a lot with, with like Ninja Warrior stuff or with Savage versus Spartan. It's like, or now that I'm more like the hybrid stuff where it is like straight up fitness, but it's like swinging from monkey bars fitness. <laughs> You know, like, or is it so skill forward or is it like, is it either like what Kirk, what's your take on that? You're in the fitness world. How would you put the, the fitness element of being obstacle proficient and like skilled at these things versus other series and other like just activities? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, here's the thing, like, even if, if we want to split the hairs on is swinging fitness, which I would argue probably isn't, it's more of a skill, but, um, Luckily for us as endurance athletes, like the foundation of the race is still fitness, right? No matter what, like a slow runner or somebody who's deconditioned is not going to win a race like that. So, Mm. um, you could almost like, like, you know how you talk about, like, you don't like the term, but like the hybrid racing or fitness racing, it really is like a test of output, right? The entire dang thing is a test of output. Um, Spartan has become more of that because the, the skills required are so elementary at this point that, um, that I would say it almost is it's getting closer to that, like fitness racing, right? Because the options to fail things are just so few and far between. Whereas like something like a savage, like, I think we still need that in this sport because like those are dying by the wayside. And so just something to give the, the people who like to still play and feel like a, like a child out on course, like we don't have many opportunities for that anymore other than like the OCRWC and then the Savage races, which is like a little bit of play, which I think is good. 
Spartan is not play anymore. It used to feel like play, for example, but now really all we have left is Savage and some small Ma and Pa races that that are play, if that makes sense. And so I like that that still exists. And I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's my take on it. It's almost like it's a combination, right? It's like the fitness with the play is going <clears throat> versus like swinging on monkey bars by itself being fitness because like I don't think that that is. I think Spartan was on the path to being the play type of obstacle like you were talking about, Kirk, mm-hmm. when they brought out Spartan Cross. I think that actually has some serious potential. I know it's the same one two to three times on the same course, but that's like a really, really dense format or what they did in Big Bear a few years ago for the sprint when they had that really bad weather on on day two where you just had that multi-lap course. I, I think when you add that kind of element, that's when you you add a little bit of that play factor instead of spacing it out. But I do agree they're 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 separate for a reason and they're necessary. I'm going to say something that's going to be very popular with half the audience and very unpopular with the other half, but Spartan lost their, their novelty, their grittiness, their rawness. And I think as a company lost their way when they decided to go after the Olympics. That was the first time they really partnered with outside sources and let them have say in what we did in the company. I remember going to Colorado Springs for a race and sitting with some people from the United States Olympic Committee and having the modern pentathletes there. And I walked into the tent and people stopped me. Like, I'm sorry, this is for for Spartan and pentathlon only. And I just realized on that day, and I was, uh, I, I was, I think, ranked third in North America at the time. In Spartan like race. Reebok commercials and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I was one of their title athletes. Um, that was probably the peak of who I was, and no one there knew me. And it wasn't about ego. I, I just realized walking into the tent, something's different here. Mm. There are like 15 people in the tent, and two of them, Robert Coble and Joe DeSena, knew who I was. Which, again, it's not about knowing me. It's about if the top three person in any sport walked into a tent, and this was at a Spartan race, walked into the pro tent at that race, and no one there knew who they were, you'd think, what's going Who are these people? Instead, they were thinking, who's this guy coming into our tent? They saw it as their tent. And and it, it just I, I've always had this vivid recollection of that moment thinking, if this is the future of what's to come, we're all in trouble here. And that's the last year they added – funkiness to the Spartan mm-hmm. championship course where they stopped double sandbag that next year. They stopped making crazy long rigs that year. Tahoe, even the first year had a really long rig and a double length uh, traverse wall right at the finish. That was the last year of all of that. They went all in on standardization and trying to hit the IOC requirements. And from that moment on, it lost that visceral grittiness. And the standardization, that's the first thing that came to my mind. And you touched on that right at the end, because you think someone just got in their ear and was like, if you really want this to be taken serious, it needs to be something that we can actually measure and and give people a, a goal to to go after versus versus the play element and the unknown and unknowable. Like that's what I think there's going to ultimately be like CrossFit seems like it would be a good uh, sport to get put in the Olympics because it is international. It's very popular. It's mm-hmm. aesthetically pleasing, but it's just random as shit. <laughs> so it's like, what is CrossFit? And, there, and there's no real definition. That's kind of what obstacle course racing is still because of all the different things. But Spartan kind of took it and was like, yeah, okay, we're going to make it what it is. But isn't bouldering kind of random also? You're never going to have the same exact 
they, and that debuted, you're well, never good. You always have a new problem. Yeah, there there are two types of Olympic sports. There are standardized and there are non-standard standardized events. Look at gymnastics. Their their routines are all optional, which means they have skill requirements they must hit, and how they meet those is totally up to them. You look at sports like <clears throat> distance-based sports, and it's totally standardized. But you look at skill-based sports, and it's very unstandardized. And Spartan chose the wrong lane for commercial growth. Savage chose the let's satisfy our fan base. And they have mm-hmm. been able, to, and they never overreached with their venues, but they've been able to move on as a company where Spartan became almost trendy to dislike right around <laughs> that time. And that's when you think about like the major complaint around Spartan outside of the elite athletes, right? Like we know too much. We see too much that like a lot of elite athletes have been treated a certain way, but from like the general person who's coming in doing a Spartan race, probably the main complaint is just the lack of innovation, the mm-hmm. same obstacles over and over the same course layouts over and over uh, where Savage, it gives you a different rig depending like in the next week. Sometimes uh, some obstacles are out there. Sometimes they're not. They change things every race. I've, really? say, uh, I, I've, I've been to like on the course sweep with Steve um, the day before the race for slow and big bear and just driving around in the Gator. You, you see all the people that never really speak up on social media um, or on podcasts and just those open heat people and everyone, they, they really are having a good time, which is kind of surprising. You, you wouldn't know because all you ever hear about are the people who, who do complain. And that's uh, just looking at the numbers. It's usually about 5% elite, 15% age group. You, you still have 80% of your customer base, just first timers. Oh, I found out about this on a, on an ad last week, or my friend told mm-hmm. me about it and they're out there being challenged. So I'm, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate, but like it, it was kind of eye opening because I never, realized that 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 was truly going on until i actually saw it with steve going around on the gator after the race yeah really the difference is i think between spartan i know this is wasn't intended to be a podcast about spartan but here we are right um is like really spartan has one thing to work with at this point they've cornered themselves into the terrain corner they have one thing mm-hmm. to work with and that is the terrain and that's what now identifies spartan races which is like we have this terrain at our disposal and we use it. And that's the only thing that makes any venue iconic now, whereas Savage Race can go to any place in the entire world if they so chose and still give a unique experience, even if the terrain changes nothing. And and I think that's sort of like the big thing that is differentiating. And that's why the appeal, like you're seeing more and more show up to Savage Race now. Um, and now you have somebody like me who's getting a little um, numbed by the Spartan routine who's thinking of maybe something that's going to light my fire by going to a spark, a savage and something that's going to require me to learn new skills because certainly some race, uh, you know, organizations are not. So, um, I don't think I'm alone there. Hop in uh, savage, man. We got one coming in Ohio. It's not, is that's not that far. I mean, it's not, you can I'm not make it there. Oh, you yeah. can go the, uh, yeah. but that's a good point on the terrain real quick. Is that, but like, mm-hmm. what is, more appealing like i think i would personally rather run go to ogden utah run to the top of snow basin and get that versus doing this rig in some swampy Mm -hmm. area that has like a cheese board (laughs) and like just like the actual experience of the terrain i think is superior to any like the obstacles that personally well and i think that's why spartan's bigger 
is because the average person doesn't want to try Ninja Warrior obstacles. Mm. The people that want that are the people that are into that and don't want running or fitness to to decide it. But no matter who you are, you hit the same trajectory in OCR. You come in and your mind is blown and you're totally exposed. Fitness, mentally, terrain-wise, you don't have any of the skills. Even if you thought you had them, you couldn't even use them because you're so blown up. And you can't wait to get back to the next one. You train for it and it goes so much better. And then you realize, oh, I could do a super and a beast. And the smartest thing Spartan ever did was create the trifecta because Mm -hmm. then people chase that. But after three, people are either ready to be done or they're ready to do two trifectas next year. Someone's got something going. And then after that, there used to be this, we don't know what we're going to hit. One year at the North American Championship or the the U.S. National Super Distance Championship, I came around the corner and there was a pile of logs and a pile of cinder blocks with chains. And as I run up, they're barking, you got to pick one of each up. You can never put it down and take it through. It's like a normal carry, but you got two today. And people loved it. And that's not innovation, but it was different. And mm-hmm. this was at a championship event. And in, you know, in Killington, you'd find two things. And sometimes you had to carry it through things. And you kept coming back for your 18th, 20th race because you still didn't know what you were going to hit. And now, yeah, the terrain is still a draw, but it doesn't get you past three or four races before it starts to dull a little bit. A Killington's numbers drop each year slightly and the pros stop going back because as cool as the terrain is, it's not that crazy mind blowing experience because the, the, the unknown is gone. Hmm. I also think Killington being a week before Tahoe and OCR worlds is bad timing for recovery. It for is. Elites. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a fair point. That's why I've never gone. And like, yeah, and it, but the, the, there's also a preparation aspect from the elite side. It's like, and, and, and the age group side, it's like these races become less hard because we become more prepared. There's mm-hmm. less unknown because like we carry two sandbags up a hill in the preparation, right? So we're like ready for it. But again, that's like you said, the more yeah. times you go ahead, kind of go through it, the got, more it's going to be that way. Got a general question. So Savage, they put on about, what, 10, 12 races a year in Spartan, were they hundreds uh, worldwide? How do you think, you know, if Spartan was like, we're only going to put on 12, how do you think the perception would be? Or how, how do you think the, I, I guess, Spart- or let, let's switch roles. What if Savage decided to put on 200 races? Would they still be as innovative or would they be a little bit more, you know, basic? What, what do you think would happen? Do we kind of give them a free pass because they have a more limited scope because they don't have as many events? Like, j- just wondering what you guys think on that topic. Well, Savage is in the enviable position of being not Spartan. So anything they do is seen in the light of, well, Spartan doesn't do that. And Savage is still considered the little fish. And so people love the underdog. They love putting them up as, look, they don't have the corporate funding. They don't have this board of investors. And they're still doing this and innovating. As soon as you're the big dog, now you get the big complaints as well. So, I mean, they're not even set up to put on 200 events. They they couldn't get 5,000 people through a course. It's not possible. There's too many bottlenecks and choke points. And they would have to then stop innovating Mm -hmm. because you can't innovate 200 times in a year. And you're exactly right. They're in a good spot where they don't have to worry because they have decided we are not overextending ourselves ever. Well, tell me this. If you were someone who does all the Savage races every year, like the Yuri Forces of the world, who now hasn't showed up for a while, 
Um, now has it lost his allure? It's allure to him. Like would the same exact thing happen in the Savage race line? Like if we had enough races at our disposal and we were allowed to go race race weekend after race weekend, would it be the same thing? Would we be having this same conversation about Savage race or do you think not? I don't have enough personal experience there, obviously. So I can't answer that. What do you think? To an extent? Yeah. It wouldn't be as drastic. Because Savage, we still see big sh- sh- uh, like shakeups on the podium. Aaron Newell wins one week and takes sixth or 11th the next. On the female side, we see some women who just dominate and win, and the next week they're stuck for 30 minutes on the second-to-last obstacle. Mm-hmm. The obstacles still, they're, they take pleasure in ruining people's day on obstacles still. And as long as that happens, there's going to be that unknown quantity. But, yeah, they're, they're, it would start to dull. You can't keep fresh forever in anything. Like even the best marriage goes in, you know, there's times where it's just mundane and then you find the spark again. And that's, that's how racing is. And that, that's a, that's a good segue back. Cause we haven't really talked about the actual races that have happened this season yet. And the athletes that are doing them. And there are some really strong, uh, competitors in these who we do know so i just want to take some time to get people caught up into what what we got going on with savage so this is the first year they've done this so there's five different races two of them are optional and three of them are mandatory you have to do one of the two optional races and if you do both of the if you do all of them you can drop one of the two but you need four total scores and the way that the scoring works is first place gets 100 second place gets 99 third gets 98 97, so on and so on. Uh, but Jack, what's your, you have a take on that, right? That style of scoring. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hear yeah. it. Uh, I mean, it, it's just like percent of the winner. Uh, that That's kind of what I've always been about since I started doing all the stat stuff. But say that you, like Bracken alluded to, <laughs> you might have a top woman who gets stuck on the rig or a bunch of them because it, it's happened, gets stuck on the rig for 30 minutes someone makes it through and then second place ends up making it in 30 minutes later, they're separated by one point. And then someone finishes 20 seconds after them in third place. And they're also separated by one point. That's a completely different level of performance. And I know things were affected pretty much. Um, But I I think that you should make it on a, you know, just divide your time by the winner's time and and make it like that. Like if you're 5% faster, you get a hundred next person gets 95 points, you know, something like that to kind of, show true levels of performance. I think that that only works on paper because I cannot, and please, please, I'm actually asking for this. This isn't a trick question by me. (laughs) Correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of a single popular successful sport that people like tracking that uses that. I mean, does anyone understand the decathlete? The decathlon scoring system. Does anyone follow? Big. Like, oh man! If Eaton just has a twelve eighty eight here, he's going to be in great position. Yeah. No, only his parents know that. Maybe. I I think that I, if you look at every major race series, from from cycling to triathlon to running anything, it has to be numbers that people understand. So while I agree it's unfair that way, I think that there is a fix that kind of splits the gap between those two. It plays the middle ground. But- to, on, on that point, just because no one else does it doesn't mean that doing it is wrong. No, of, of course. Like being contrarian is oftentimes good, but people don't want to do math. What if what if this was your job and it's like, all right, you're going to get paid for the amount of work that you do. Here's your you know dollars per hour. It takes you a certain amount of time. It takes someone longer. 
like what if what if uh you know everyone got just about the same amount of money and it's 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 like wait i was way more efficient at what i did shouldn't i be compensated a little bit more uh, i don't know to, i'm just trying i to mean that's like work. saying a 500 foot home run should be worth more runs than a 315 foot home run i think you could argue at either side i think that when it's not clear yeah it's frustrating kirk you had something to say well, yeah, I just think I, no. I think Jack is absolutely right. It's the absolute most fair way to score, without question. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can argue that even a little bit. However, it leads to the least climactic ending to any series or season. Like we want, like curiosity to build and stakes to build and get buy-in from the audience. Ideally, if we even have one in this sport, and then at the end, we don't even really know where people need to finish in order to place. And so it's it's like uh, one of those things where you just close your eyes and guess, and then hopefully at the end it all works out. Because it'd be a tough model to get the fan buy-in to really give a shit as the season mm-hmm. progressed. I think that's the hard part. But you're not wrong. Bracken's definitely not wrong. But I just be a tough one to, to have people buy into. Didn't it, didn't it happen in the stadium series where Killian and Isaiah like – one of them needed to finish 18 seconds ahead of the other because they mm-hmm. figured it would be like a 24 minute race and they back calculated it. So they just kept looking back at the, you know, to make sure that yeah they were at least that far apart. I think there's two important things to remember. Uh, the first is that point series that encourage time gaps, they discourage tactical racing. Inherently, mm-hmm. it stops pack racing. Now, our sport is not fully to the point of track or cross country yet, but that thrilling bell lap, eight people in it, and everyone's confident that they have the best kit is eliminated, and it turns into the um, the wave light pacing style of racing when you have to separate yourself by time. When you have to go out and just run your best pace from the beginning and thrash yourself, even if you're a mile ahead, you need every extra point. It actually destroys racing, even though we always asked for the opposite. We always asked for people to get tired of tactical sit and kick races. When Matthew Centrowitz won the fifteen hundred meter in three fifty at the Rio Olympics, which is a, a, a average to above average D three college time for men, people said that's the cheapest win we've ever seen. And then next year, or two years later, three years, Wavelight technology comes out where you can pace any way you want. And they're like, oh, we're sick of this time trial racing where mm-hmm. everyone's just out mm-hmm. and no one's, we want tactics back. So I think you always want what you don't have, but by pushing for time gaps, you remove someone sitting on a shoulder and waiting to play a tactical card. And I think mm-hmm. that's important to have in competition. I, I agree with that. There is one other thing to think about though. These are point series. So it's the accumulation of points throughout the year. Mm-hmm. every single series first race of the year that's when people show up and you're going to have a bigger point spread because now you have 15 20 people deep look what happened as partner race last year super deep at the beginning of the year <laughs> big bear shows up not even close to as deep someone who gets you know eighth place might have got 20th early on in the year and suddenly you've got way more points and that person who had a fantastic performance earlier if they had similar field they would have had way more points and then they get all shaken up but if you eliminate that and you just make it all relative to the fastest person of the day, it's everything's kind of equal. Yeah, but isn't that the beauty of racing? Top two guys are gone, third through 10th are in a pack, and one guy in the last 10 meters goes from 10th to third and picks up seven points rather than picking up 
no points because they all had the same finishing time when they lean and no one's rewarded for that microscopic move that they made that in the track and field world is an eternity and our mm-hmm. sport if we did that would be worth zero points mm-hmm. so we have to decide what we want to reward first the second thing i do want to make clear in savage's favor is that this was intended to be year one the most convenient to getting done through the season scoring system. I was in on the creation of this. This Mm. was not the system I submitted, but I was in, I I gave my proposal for how it should look. And what they ended up going with was an easy to understand point series that they could put out, get everyone on board in just a couple of weeks and start the series and make sure that it got through with no drama or controversy. And we will revisit it, what we learned for season two. And I think that all these conversations now are what are going to drive season two. I have already written up my proposal for what season two should look like if we keep the 10-9-8 scoring. And there should be a proposal from Jack for how you should move forward if you have percentage of winner's time. But year one was proof of concept. Let's give these people something other than Spartan. Year two, we start perfecting it. No, I, I will say that I, in the past, uh, just like your proposal that you were mentioning, I've looked at all the Spartan races, the NBC, U.S. National Series, Tahoe, Abu Dhabi, all, all those big races, even international ones. And I've found that, you know, first place to second place is usually 3%, thir- second to third is maybe 2% slower than that. So maybe instead of like 100, 99, 98, you just, you're like, all right, let's just take what it's always been. And it doesn't matter what your actual percent is, but here's what the percents historically are. And we'll just kind of copy those percentages. So now first place is 100, second is 97, third is 95. Like do something like that. So regardless of what you actually end up finishing, whether it's 30 minutes behind or, or whatever, your place kind of gets locked in based on how most people have been historically. I think that would be a, a simpler way to prevent people from getting scared by math. And what Spartan does now is a bit of a combination of both, right? Where they kind of weight the top four to five spots. Because, I mean, I my problem with this style of scoring is that there's just not enough events to really make up for a bad result. We're saying, like, this is how CrossFit Games does their scoring, but there's, like, 20 events over the course of the weekend. So one, like, 25th place isn't going to sink you, uh, mm-hmm. where this is only four, right? So you come away with an eighth place and you get second the rest of the way. Like, you might still finish in, like, fifth. That's like my main issue with this. Where Spartan, they they top load the top four or five now. Goes all the way down to ten. Oh, it's, now. it's right. Ten it's now. way down. Yeah. That's right. Uh, here's the thing with all scoring systems, though. When did we hear the least amount of complaints? The 300, 299, 298, 297 format. Nobody really complained about that till they started changing it. And two, tell me this: like we can split hairs all we want. I guess that's what we're supposed to do on this podcast. But when has the cream not risen to the top? When has the mm-hmm. scoring system not been just to the person who's won or uh, taken top three in the series? And maybe you know this. I don't. Like, when can you think of where the, the scoring system actually screwed the deserving party over? The, there were a few, a, a few years ago, it was like Woods, Killian, Miss Seattle. <laughs> Woods had like a hamstring injury. VJ only ran a couple races in the series. And like, if you look at how they perform the rest of the races, I think VJ won Alabama and did well in Jacksonville and Woods won a couple races or, or podiumed. And like you, you saw people who clearly had great performances lose out to people who did the participation contest. This was, this was the year where all of them counted though. Correct. And that so I like, disagree right. was strong. Oh, was that, was yes. that the, you, you got 10th year? I got 10th that year. Damn it. Okay. Like, you guys are making year. my case for me. 
So this is my proposal to Savage for the 2023 series. And that is you have to decide if you want your series to decide the winner or a, an event to decide the winner. Mm-hmm. And my take is you should keep it easy to finish close together. 10, 9, 8, 7, 5, or whatever it's going to be. First place is always worth the same. Second's always worth the same. And you make it so that there are only a few needed. You only need two or three scores to get in to the finale. And what that does is it encourages regional people. I can go out and snag this because these people already have their two or three qualifiers. They've already got their score. They're set. I could take second every single time and only be three points down. It gets you a more a deeper pool of people mentally engaged in the series, drumming it up on social media. It encourages more people to come out. And then you have your final event be a very weighty. It's the championship event and it has massive points on it. So that all the little creams get to show up, but then the big cream rises to the top at a big event. But it doesn't alienate people. If you have a hamstring injury or you get COVID or your flight's canceled and you miss a race right now, you're screwed. If you only need two or three to qualify for the big event at the end, in a small race series like Savage, you get to bring 10 or 12 people in it all with a chance to earn money. Mm -hmm. At Spartan, by the end, the only thing that's up for grabs are the actual position between one and two or five and six. So it's deciding which style do we actually want. Do we want to eliminate people early or do we want to bring as many people as we can into the final and get some, some online conversation happening about our series? Right. Like, so the series, a series and like a national champion might be redundant is kind of what you're saying. It's like, there doesn't necessarily need to be a series, especially when it ends up being participation or when it's like, uh, when we're going to talk about the nuance of the scoring and it would leave it up to, uh, Hey, this person might have won if they, if their sister didn't get married one weekend. Golden trail series. Most of these have a championship event that, counts for points just like all the other ones do, but it counts for so much more that it's clearly the most important. So you get a lot of people who win their local Spanish or Italian race and they're talked about as a contender, but you know Killian's coming to the final one and he's got his qualifier. So everyone's in it, but the cream's going to rise to the top on the biggest course with the most points. And you're not talking like uh, Spartan did early on. I think the first Ultra Beast, it was like, oh, you participated in this. You're autumn, you get 50,000 points. Or Do you remember what happened with that? Something along you got lines? two. I actually benefited from that. Okay. Yeah, you got uh, you got points for each lap. An Ultra Beast counted as two beasts. Gotcha. How do we like this format of an optional? I guess we're getting really stuck up on the nuance of this, but that's what we're talking about. The optional race is something that we haven't necessarily seen in Spartan, I don't believe. Spartan is typically like you can drop your bottom one or two. This one, there's you have to have four scores. Three of them are mandatory, and two of them are optional, so you get to drop one of the two optional. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of a cool twist, but now as it's kind of like playing out, I'm not exactly sure – how I feel about it because it, I mean, it gives you some flexibility in, in travel, but if you like, if your two best races are the optional races, but I guess it would be less competitive. I don't know. Kirk, what's your, what's your thought on a, on a format like that, where it's like a little bit of a benefit to the athlete, but does it really help? Well, I like that. It ensures that there's three races in the entire year that everybody must go head to head, which is going to lead to probably more accurate point 
uh, representation at the end of the season or the series, right? Is it inconvenient if somebody has a conflict on a personal level? Like, absolutely. But guaranteeing that all players are showing up for three events without exception is probably going to lead more likely to the best best athlete winning the overall series. And then they're just throwing them a bone with a little flexibility with those other two. So do I like it? Like for the athlete, I actually don't think it's beneficial. I think having more flexibility, like pick four out of five makes more sense. But I think from actually ensuring that the big dogs all go head to head three times for sure, without exception, leading to the right person winning makes a lot of sense. Do you guys think distance running is a little, or endurance sports are a little unique like that, where you actually see the big dogs go head to head a lot? Because I know in sprinting, it's like, if you're the defending 100 meter world champion, you're not going to see them face anybody who has the potential of beating them for like a year, because they just want that, they want that allure of like being, you know, the man still, but in in distance racing, you see it all the time. So I I think it's kind of cool that we do see that and it carries over to OCR. The faster twitch the sport, generally the more popular and the more money there is on being the champion. And then you get your championship appearance fees. And so you look at sports like that, sprinting, jumping, uh, throwers actually show up against each other all the time, but mm-hmm. boxing, MMA, you the champion's purse is so much bigger in these fast twitch short sports that it pays not to show up against big dogs unless you actually have to. And, and also the faster Twitch athletes tend to be very, very needing to feel propped up and managed. A lot of ego. So, you yeah. have to have, it's like not like, like wide receivers. Yeah. It's like wide receivers. Yeah. I mean, at distance, I mean, there's, you have to have ego and confidence to do well, but I think to be a sprinter and just be like, I am the greatest, <laughs> like it's probably yeah. a bigger ding to like get third than it would be to get out kicked in a tactical race. There's no... There's more excuses in distance running, I, I think. More can go wrong, yeah. so you can point to more things going wrong. Yeah, and, and let me tell you a little bit behind the scenes of why Savage chose this. They they had two things they wanted to do. They wanted to promote their own races. And so if you notice, some of the mandatory races are their tent pole events for the year. Mm-hmm. They wanted to drive the elites to their best events uh, from, a, from a business standpoint. But they also wanted to be the anti-Spartan again, which, I mean, that, that was consistently brought up in the meetings was we want to offer something that's not being offered, which is flexibility. So they wanted to try to split split the, the difference between promote their brand and do things that make sense for them, but let the athletes have a little bit of life flexibility. So you have two optional races and you can use one of them. And you can get, if you have a bad race, you can go to both optional and choose your best one. And Again, it wasn't my, it wasn't any one of our proposals that got chosen, but it was the melting pot of it all. So I think this is why brands should talk a little bit. Spartans should talk a little more openly. Maybe they don't want to because they have people just making dumb decisions. But when there are conversations that occur that have athletes' best interests in mind, I think it's worth talking about because then even though I would say on the outside, why would you have four mandatory and two optional and one of the mandatory you don't have to go to because it's only three? That's dumb. But because I saw the process, I thought this company cares about the athletes and they actually want the series to succeed for them, not just for the brand. Suppose that that's why they came up with what they did and they are very open to what comes next. So let's talk a little bit about this, what's happening in the series itself now that there's been four races in. So just like kind of a, a 
just to talk about a little bit where we were leading into Maryland. And Bracken, you could probably help me out on this a little bit because you've been the you've been the voice behind the thing. You've just been the Joe Buck. Who do you, who who do you want to be con- compared to when it comes to the, an Aikman, a Romo? I mean, you can't go wrong being a Romo. Romo's pretty good, but you're a Wisconsin boy. There we go. All right, but I don't know. I I I like a lot of announcers that a lot of people don't. I'd be okay being Chris Collinsworth. Well, that guy has he went from a a white NFL wide receiver to calling the to calling Michael Phelps races at the Olympics. Like if that's not the American dream, I don't know what is. Do you have a Collinsworth impersonation? Can you? Can you well, I'll, I'll I'll tell you this. Bracken in his call is really good. No, I'm, like I'm not that? real good at at impersonations. Right. You can work on it. I'd like to have the prescience of Tony Romo and the ability of those old guys who can just talk and and know everything. Never never thrown off. You're getting there. You're doing great. So Kempson and Aaron have been back and forth up into this race. Kempson had won a race. Aaron had won a race. Uh, and Aaron, I think, had a three and Kempson had a two. And since it's just that, so they're right there. Now, Vero won one of the optional races in Charleston. Alvaro's coming along, man. He's really finding his stride here. Kirk, you've raced against Alvaro at least once. And I like that. Two or three times, yeah. Even though his results are like pretty good. We only have to say one name for Alvaro. We just know who we're talking about. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's coming along. And then we have athletes who've been, who've been in the top three. Uh, Sean Roberts, Jared Flank, Nick Riker have all been on the, the podium. And the depth between four and ten has been really solid at Savage mm-hmm. so far this year. And then on the women's side, uh, Chris Roglowski. Did you hear uh, Matt Davis's nickname for her? Chris Ridiculous. Is Chris it? Ridiculous. It's, not it's wrong. okay. It's not wrong. You also see his no race brain uh, little yeah. icon yeah. today. For yeah. Our lawyer. Our lawyer's going, right? Chris <laughs> Ridiculous is a little. Jack, what, what do we think about everyone's hair color in Matt's graphic? Are we okay? Uh, Matt's it, missing a little bit of gray. I think he needs to touch. He looks up. way younger in his character. His hair, his yeah, hair looks really. very full. Yeah. yeah. So Jack still yeah. is nitpicking on the cartoon yep. caricature. Jack, so we have 11 people here in Ireland here between our two Airbnbs here. And, yeah. and two nights ago at the dinner table, I passed around pictures of all four of us and then the race brain uh, total logo. Uh-huh. And with no background, I said, tell me who got done the nastiest and who was just given the best improvement. Yeah. <laughs> and to a man, they said Rich and Kirk have the most to complain about, and Jack should be pretty happy. <laughs> I, I just the only thing is the haircut. It's like if you mess, if you literally put brown hair, and I don't have brown hair, I think it should be fixed. That's the only complaint I had. Everything I have to go back and looked. look at the photos that you submitted and see how red the hair looks. Because yeah. this guy doesn't know yet. That's oh, true. and the beard, the beard too. If we could just fix yeah, yeah. the beard, yeah, yeah, if you yeah. could fill in my yeah. patchiness. Yeah. Kirk, they thought you should have submitted a different picture. Jack, they thought this guy. I, did listen, I, I gave Rich like eight pictures. Rich yeah. chose that of the, you know, conglomerate I sent. I asked the people keep the telling me like, yeah. If it were me, you got to play up the image in sex cells. I would have had Kirk and J- and Rich shirtless, abs popping, chest oh, yeah. glistening with sweat. I, I, I think we just anyway. missed the boat. Rich, you look. Real goofy. Oh, I mean, 
I am real goofy. That's I mean with that photo in general, but the, he he hooked it up with some real bags under the eyes, and I looked. I was like, oh man, that doesn't look great. And I was like, ah, I'm just not that young anymore. <laughs> you couldn't make this joke unless it was already made by Hollywood. But your facial expression looked like Simple Jack in Tropic Thunder. To me. <laughs> <laughs> if you can picture that, I, I feel like you were a caricature of Simple Jack on that. And I thought, Rich, that's that's unfortunate. Jack, you look great. Not you amazing. Look very very good. good. Male model. Simple no Jack doubt. versus Model Jack, yeah. I think if we put all four of those avatars on Tinder, Jack is like four to one out getting out swiped. Yeah. Who, who's last, you think? How how likely would it be? If, if you had an avatar on Tinder, like what are the odds that you're actually having anybody interested in that? There's probably a market for that. I bet, and I bet people do it. It's like this this yeah. Fake me is way better than real me. So- well, like when I was doing online dating, it's how I met my girlfriend Jess. This is five years ago now, but like every girl had like the dog Snapchat filter as like their profile picture. I was like, <laughs> I'm not trying to date a dog. It's not helpful. Did so Jess? that existed back then. No, Jess did not. She's okay, not an idiot. Gonna... Everyone though, she was actually a fish, and I'm really into that. So <laughs> we all have a niche. Big lips. Like- Kirk's got a man bun and he's got the the mountain man appeal. Bald is very divisive. Mm-hmm. There's a market for it and there's a big market against it. Rich, unfortunately, your avatar doesn't show you what your market truly is. And so just, it misses the mark. And Jack, you've got a market too. Yeah, Jack, for sure. Tall, redheaded, colorblind, know-it-all. <laughs> like some people want that. Like yeah. They're looking for the daddy professor to just put them in their place. Swiping right for sure on you, Jack. Um, so the women's field. Uh, Chris has been doing great. She's won two of three. She got third in a race where she failed Sawtooth, which was kind of shocking on on that. And Miranda was able to come away with the win on that race. Miranda had like an eighth place finish in the first one. She couldn't get past the rig. And um, she's been six since then. And, uh, and then there's a, and then the top, top five gets filled in with uh, Chrissy McFarlane, Jamie Hornopolis, uh, Jereen Klingberg and Rachel Waters. And after that, the, the depth kind of falls off quite a bit, mm-hmm. but that top five, there is some, there is some people in the mix. Didn't Miranda just get second? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she cannot drop her eight because she can't make the other man. There are four races that are the mandatory pool. Yeah. And three of them must count. So even though there are two wild card races, you can only count one of them in. Right. So, so she locked. can't show up to one. So her eighth sticks. Gotcha. So she's hosed on it. And that's mm-hmm. someone like Nick Riker, who got third twice. He had a tough race in the first in Florida. Mm-hmm. I think he was like 10th or 11th. Got third twice in both the optional ones, but only one of them counts. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I'm and like I said, I guess that's fair because those fields should have been more watered down because it's optional, but still kind of a bummer. This is where if you had a event at the end, you get who's hot. It's the benefit of tournament play. Miranda's hot right now. Nick's hot right now. They're coming in with momentum. They're not an eighth and a 10th finisher currently, but the one race that they were was the first race of the year and it determined their ceiling. Yeah. Which is why like you're a suggestion of qualifying in through and this is actually nice for Savage, which is another big uh, sticking point that we have with, with Spartan is that the season is 11 months long in Spartan. Mm-hmm. This one is what it started. It was February to June mm-hmm. and it, like makes more sense. It's still like kind of long uh, yeah. for, for a distance athlete, but it makes a little track with nationals. Basically. Yeah, you could say that. I mean, 
February. I guess indoor, I thought it was March, but yeah, you might. Indoor out. And, and indoor and outdoor is basically one season when you're like in college. Like it's really indoor so short. Um, so yeah, so this makes sense from that perspective. But yeah, some like Nick and Miranda had that that those tough finishes, and Jared Flank even who finished second in the first race and then had had uh, a couple of tough finishes. Like he's kind of out of it at this point, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't believe that Chris, at, of course, uh, after doing High Rocks and Big Bear, that she still showed up last week and won. And then she's like, no, nah, I'm not going to take any rest. I'm going to fly to Austin and, and win the sprint on Sunday also. It's just so impressive what she does. I'm just not impressed anymore. I'm just like, yeah, it's, that's not impressed. That's par. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like a superhero movie where they've built up the whole movie showing how impervious to damage everyone is so by the end you're just throwing people through skyscrapers left and right and it doesn't even matter anymore like well who cares it's just that's what superheroes do yeah (laughs) so going into this race uh this was the the first mandatory race after the two options it was a mandatory two optional mandatory and that's in maryland which is a little bit more nasty terrain a little bit more hilly where i think charleston and the the georgia race are pretty much cross country especially Georgia's got hills. Georgia's a legit course. Oh, does it? Yeah. Maryland, they can find nasty stuff or they can avoid it. Georgia and Ohio are the two hilly courses. Okay. So I had one. Charleston had like 66 feet of elevation changes. I I looked at Rikers, Strava, and I was like, what? That's half of that were walls and A frame. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It was really just like grass, flat grass. Mm -hmm. People were going. So that's where we saw Alvaro really, really come out. So coming into this race, you figure like he might have a little bit of trouble. Sean Roberts was second in in uh, Charleston. Same kind of thing. It's like, okay, muck it up a little bit more. Maybe you see some of these other guys uh, make up ground. But Kempson looked like he just ran away from it. And like he's been in these races, not necessarily assertive right from the start, but he picks his spots, right? He'll be like 10 minutes in, make a move, and just kind of be by himself. He does kind of what VJ does to Spartan athletes where it's like he's gotten through some obstacles. He doesn't slow down. And then he's just kind of gone. I think he was winning from the first mile in this one. That man builds momentum with his speed coming off obstacles as well as any person I've ever seen. He comes off stuff aggressively attacking the next run. And every time he holds that for another one, it's like another energy chip he gets. He, Mm -hmm. he has, I don't even know with him. He's obviously a great compromise runner, but he's like a he's a momentum based runner. I don't even know what the term for that is. Where if he takes time on you on something, it just stokes his fire bigger. And if he flies over an obstacle faster than you, it stokes the fire. And if he holds the the lead another quarter mile, it stokes his fire. He just builds throughout races. Even if his fitness says that he shouldn't be accelerating in the second half of races, he feeds off races as much as anyone I've seen. This is the biggest win so far this year, isn't it? In all the series races, the largest margin of victory. Is that correct? I it's mean, over a minute. Minute. It was a over minute plus, which you rarely see. So, like, you know, we we sort of had this uh, conversation uh, before and then after Big Bear, talking about Kempson, our expectations of him. We weren't too hot on Kempson for some reason in Big Bear, right? We just weren't sure what he would bring. I to was. The table. I picked him round four. Did you? I, I, I bought. Okay. Well, well you sold we're, those right. Yet. Well, you bought in the grand scheme of OCR, correct. not Spartan, correct? Yeah. And then he just goes and does exactly what, like, we know Kempson is capable of following up an apathetic performance in Big Bear, and it just it just re-cements, like, Kempson's dominance in these shorter, fast, technically, like, sound races. He's just, like, it's unbeatable. It just really, it, like, was a big check 
check mark in the positives column for him. It really solidified, like, there's no doubt, like, Kempson hasn't gone anywhere. We've all, if you follow him on social media, he's had a lot going on with family, you know, with some family occurrences, the building of the new house stuff, admittedly not training as much. Kempson hasn't gone anywhere. No. Kempson isn't going anywhere. He's just as fit as ever now. So he's, he's Kempson for the rest of the year. And this is something I wanted to save till later, but I just want to say it while I'm thinking about it. These last few OCR races that we've seen, and I'll count High Rocks, I will count Big Bear, I will count the Savage races. Pure engine, biggest engine is not the single defining factor. The best movers in that realm have been the people who've been winning. Mm. Because Sean Roberts still should never lose a Savage race because mm. he has the grip and he has the running. And... Uh, Hunter isn't the fastest runner or the strongest person. And Ryan Atkins, you could argue he might have the biggest engine, but he's not the fastest runner or the best climber. But all three of those guys, Kempson, they're the best movers through that, that test of anyone. Atkins took time on everyone in the field. His obstacles have just become perfect. And Hunter moves through the course better, and Kempson moves through savage race courses as well as anyone and these are all people who put an emphasis on some sort of movement and training and that's been interesting for a while i thought that was all hocus pocus but now that things start to level off a little bit movers matter mm -hmm. bracken you made the argument last uh last race about big bear that you were disappointed in the field that mm -hmm. they didn't rise to the occasion and let atkins just run away with it in a sense now yeah we could wrong. take that well, but well, if you wanted to take that stance and you just look at the time gaps and the results, does Savage Race play out the same way, or is this simply like Kempson is that much better and it would have worked itself out that way regardless? Or did people trip over their own two feet, get in their own way, and not allow themselves to run where they should have for the race? You know better than anybody, so I'm I'm passing that question to you. I don't, I can't make a call on it because rewatching the big bear footage. The top few people tried to take it to Ryan. He just moved better than them. And I would consider downhill being a mover. It's not necessarily an engine thing. If it was, Josiah wins. Mm -hmm. And in looking at the race in in Maryland, I, I don't know why Kempson gets away so well. Maybe he is that good, but he is just... He feeds off movement through the course. I, I, don't, I don't really know how to define who he is right now because... His savage race results are at odds with everything he tells us about his life and his training right now. Well, you say like the last point is like you say, OK, like if you wanted to design a race plan to beat Ryan Atkins in Big Bear, you could come up with one or two ways in which we could figure out for an athlete to do mm -hmm. so. Right. We could say VJ needs to do X or Lars needs to do Y in savage race. If you said, how would an athlete put together a game plan to beat Ryan Kempson right now? You would say, I don't know. I, think I mean, about that. That's powerful for Ryan Kempson. I yeah. I think that because last race Alvaro had such a strong race, Sean Roberts had a strong race without Kempson in the field, they should have taken that same blueprint. And Alvaro's tried this in the past. He will try to go out really hard, <laughs> but things are kind of coming together for him. If I was putting together a race plan and talking to Sean Roberts and Alvaro, it's like hammer this guy up front. Don't let him be assertive. Yeah. Get away. And, and make him chase because we haven't really seen him do that in a savage race yet this year. The race that he did lose, he was winning close to the end and just like missed an obstacle, 
everybody caught up, lost momentum. Uh, but mm-hmm. We haven't really seen anybody take it to him early and have him kind of close in that last half. I'd, and, and we saw like, and that was the difference what we talked about in the beginning. It's like, what's the difference between these two races now? It's like one, you, you, you get a lot more time made up on your experience and your ability to move through where the other one Spartans more of like a fitness grunt type of race. Mm-hmm. We didn't see him do that well. And, and, uh, on the big bear. So if I was Alvaro and Sean, I would yeah. just try to hammer it. Retire fitness him is what you're saying. Like I'll, I'll fitness, I'll fitness him. him. If okay. you're a 401 miler, it's yeah. not out of the question. True. It's we, we were talking about like, how do you, what's your strategy? Sometimes with an absolute monster, the only legitimate strategy is to bite down on your mouthpiece and fight fire with fire. Like if they're a power puncher, sometimes you have to go blow for blow because maybe that shakes their con- well, with Hunter. Kent beat him by biting down on his mouthpiece in Chicago and swinging from the bell. Mm-hmm. And with with a Kempson and Savage, it might take a VJ or a Kent, someone who can run with him and obstacle with him to just say, I'm going to re-raise you on every single thing because none of the other guys can flow while running hard the way Kempson can. It might just take a fire for fire approach. Haven't we seen Kempson do this in Spartan race at Jacksonville a couple times though? Like he just took it to the field at the beginning. So, I mean, he's, he's willing to hurt. I, I like Bracken, you've raced him head to head plenty of times. I, yeah. I, he seems like he's willing to really leave it out there more than arguably anybody in the sport. Maybe Isaiah like is willing to hurt other people just as much. Like yeah. it's impressive what he, what he's willing to go through just to hurt people early on. Yeah, but like 2019 Kempson at Jacksonville in particular, took people off guard. And then this yep. looking back was certainly the apex of where his fitness was that we've seen to, to date. I don't think OCR worlds. OCR yeah. worlds last year. But, but he wasn't winning that early. But that was but, but that's race. my point. None of the races you've mentioned other than Maryland did he lead. Even yeah. Jacksonville, he didn't take the lead until the barbed wire. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, and that was early ish. But it was it was a half mile of running ish before them, but he was up in the lead, but he didn't assert until he flowed through some obstacles and realized, oh, I can do this better than all these guys. And then he pushed on the next gap and, and lengthened and then pushed the next obstacle and got off. And then he worked the sandbag and still had his gap in real or the bucket. Actually, that was Kirk, right? Was the first mm-hmm. carry and then realized and he just kept feeding, but he flowed into that. You're going to need some mm-hmm. heat. What he does well is he has a point where he goes and he can close well, but his only vulnerability is running himself into the ground and fading. So you need to be someone that can flow with them the whole time and then have one more gear. If he happens to be fatigued, that's really the only way to beat a Kempson. I don't think you can blow him out from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You have to outlast him and then put him into the ground. And most people can't do that. Uh, Rich, you're you're one you're one of the few people who's probably faster pure foot speed than Kempson. What would you do in a situation like that on a runnable savage like course against him? Yeah, I'm just so not good at obstacles <laughs> that like I would just really need to make sure that I was around for that. I'd probably try to do what Bracken laid out um and just to try to make through and kind of stick with him and then pick a point and go. But if I was Sean Roberts, who is a different league of running runner than I am. Like and who knows how to do these things? Like, I'm taking it and just seeing, just going. Back in, you're muted we, for some reason. audio. Ireland, man, it's that, crazy that just happens. <laughs> this might be the time to talk about foot speed and what it really is, because Ryan Kempson is not 
the fast guy that people make him out to be. And Ryan, if you listen to this, you're faster than me. <laughs> like that is that's not a that's not a detriment to you. Except on paper, he's not. He tell a you faster five k. He would tell does. you that he that he's like he doesn't consider himself like a runner, even though he looks amazing as a runner. I'll say about him what Chad Trammell said to me back in the day. He said, I don't care what your 5K PR is, you're faster than it. And I will say that about Kempson as well, because mm. he's beating guys with much faster PRs, but he's, I think, only a 1550 guy. Maybe. Is PR. Maybe. Maybe. 1550, 5052. I thought I saw him run on the roads. And it was like running ago. himself. What'd you say? He, he was sub 16 a couple of years ago. I remember a post. Yeah. But it was only, it was 10 seconds or less under, yeah. where we have guys that are sub. 14 in the sport, maybe not currently. And we have guys who are well under 15. So he's actually not the foot speed guy, but on terrain and between obstacles, he's as fast as any. And this is, that's the same thing with VJ. VJ is the fastest runner we can think of in our sport most of the time. He just controls the race and he runs away from us. And he's not ever put up a really fast 5K. Mm-hmm. So what, I mean, our definition of foot speed needs to be different for mixed racing than it needs to be for the roads or the track. There isn't one event. There isn't one event I can think of in the history of any big U S national series or national level event in which the fastest guy on paper has won. I don't know. Maybe then a woods, maybe a woodsy when he finally got his shit together. But other than that, what the Carlsbad 5k this last weekend, to your point, you know, VJ handed it to the field and he lost to Mark Botchers by 30 seconds. We'll talk about that later, but like fastest runner never wins. It's that whole, what do we come up with a term for the max percentage of your, your <laughs> capability? You can keep we have on the race course. We, we have it. We, were, we have not, we were supposed to, and we failed that next episode. It's like we always argue those mute points. Like all that just goes, gets thrown out the window when it's, I just wanted to be clear that it's a disservice to Kempson to call him the fast guy. Yeah. No. Because he's a better yeah. athlete than he is runner. Yeah. Right. Which is and wild because he was a low D1 level point guard for one year in college. No, D3. He's D3. Sorry, low D3 level point guard for one year. And yet he's a world champion OCR racer, but he's still a better mover and athlete than he is standalone in a vacuum runner. Yeah. And if we were to take, if looking at just the top 10, and if we were to set it up on a 5K, I'd take at least. Three, three guys ahead of them, maybe four. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Who are who are th- who's your ranking of top ten five k runners currently in the sport of OCR? Jack, I'm sure is all over this. Shall yeah, we shall we move there or should we? Do you want to wrap up the ladies first? Yeah, Let's I was going to say I, we, we transitioned quick. nicely, but we forgot to wrap up the women. <laughs> we forgot to wrap up the women's race. So, uh, yeah. So just the the top men, Kempson, Alvarel. Sean Roberts. Uh, a big blow here is Aaron coming in sixth. I think he missed something and had to go back. He was right in the mix to to challenge Kempson. It's going to be a little bit harder now with a sixth place finish. That's a mandatory race on there. Um, His greatest strength bites him from time to time, which is he can take risks because his grip and his movement through space is so good that he'll fail things from time to time when it's not, when it's mandatory completion because he knows he can go for it. Aaron. Yeah, and I think he was fighting in the pack. So I think he may have been trying to make a move. It just didn't happen for him. Yeah. Was that Jack? Don't forget, Aaron did beat Alvaro in Florida and Georgia. So two out of he's, three races have gone head to head this year. It's He's still three points behind. back now. Yeah, three points back but he has behind Alvaro. But he has beat him. 
Abra yeah. was off course in one of them. Looks like Georgia. Yeah, because he got eighth that one. And he was uh, fourth, third or fourth in he was fourth in Florida, one Charleston, second place here in Maryland. So he's in second place now, only three points behind Kempson. So Alvaro really has the best chance to to make up that ground. If he wins Ohio, which is going to be a hilly kind of nasty technical course, I don't know. Um, it would have set up so well for Aaron if he would have pulled this out and been even like third. Uh, he would have had a much better shot to take down Kempson on a course like Ohio. Um, but it looks like it's down to Kempson and Alvaro for the last one. Yep. On the women's race, uh, Chris, again, kind of took it from the start. It looks like after the rig, it was over. Uh, I think some of the women had trouble getting through that, the Savage rig today. Miranda was kind of sitting on her, and and, and it looks like she took time. They've missed once or twice. That whole field of athletes that we talked about before, the Jareen, Chrissy McFarlane, I think Jamie Hornopoulos was up there in that pack too um, and caught up to Miranda. And then looks like Miranda's just a, a better runner, has better fitness than that chase pack. And I think she just ended up pulling away after everybody got through the rig. Did anybody else take away anything from that? I don't think that Chris has a chance of uh, losing this. She's not going to get eighth place. This was the day. Yep. This was her at her most vulnerable. She had raced two of the biggest races of her life. In terms of spectacle and emotion, the emotional swing of becoming a world champ is one that few people truly ever grasp. And I can say that I don't truly ever grasp it myself, but I, but we've seen the effect on people winning something big. It leads to the type of fatigue that other people can't ever earn because you have obligations and interviews and you don't sleep and everyone wants to buy you a drink. And it's just the way those things go. She was at her most vulnerable and that was their chance. That was the chance for anyone in the field to steal one. There's not going to be any more stealing from her. The come no. down from a race weekend like that is so hard to just like the, the motivate. She had to be running baseline, not only like fatigue factor, but like intrinsic motivation. I don't know if you can recreate that sort of motivation two weekends in a row. That was just like that was scraping the barrel for Chris. And she still won. I don't care who you are. I don't know how it's possible to come back and put your heart into a race again like you did twice in a row the weekend before. So it just goes to show her dominance once again. I I, I actually thought we might see like a human side of, of her. Um, yeah. And I, th- I still think th- the fatigue is going to catch up with her at some point. I do think we're going to see some sort of dip somewhere and she's going to have to learn those quandaries of becoming a stud athlete and, and overdoing it. But it just, it wasn't yet. I thought it might happen already, and it didn't. I know. And that's the thing. I think emotionally she doesn't get as tied up in, into it as much as any of us on this podcast talking might, where it's like this big, huge lead up. She's like, ah, I'm just going to go have fun, do this big, long, high rocks workout. I'm going to go fun and run in the mountains. Yeah. And however I you do know. is how it plays out. I'm going to go do a savage, and it'll be fun. And like, <clears throat> I don't think she cares as much. <laughs> she's, the unfortunate thing about that and the fortunate position she's creating for herself though, is she is earning pressure and it's going to be really interesting to see how this morphs for her. Because once you become the person she is becoming, like, I feel like she wasn't a woman full of expectation or stress before. That's her biggest attribute. Like mm-hmm. now, how can she hold on to that is going to be like the big question because you're never the same again. When the best possible outcome for you is winning and all you have to lose is, well, everything if you don't win, it's like a lot. It's a completely different pressure. Bracken, you were on the top of the Spartan scene for a while. I was a big fish in a small pond in high school. I won every race and all I hit, all I could do is let people down. 
at this point. Mm -hmm. Either I did what was expected of me or I disappointed people if I lost. And like she's she's earned it and it's a privileged position, but she's eking her way to that ledge. And I just like I'm I'm so curious to see how it plays out because she like embodies what we all want to embody in this sport. And that is the fun, the spirit of it, the the invigoration of the whole thing without the added pressure and stress. She seems to do such a good job of it. I just want to like her story, like I'm very anxious to read like in a year or two is, is what I'm getting at. We all know and glamorize her recovery superpower she has to be able to just do crazy events. Like how many people in Big Bear or High Rocks had done multiple hundred milers already this year? It's <laughs> just stupid what she does. But her other equally greatest superpower is she's impervious to normal race pressure or stress or emotions. She's like the Hobie, the later stage career Hobie, who's just happy to be there. It's his, it's his expression of joy. It's his pastime. It's what he looks forward to. And that's how hers is. She seems to just, oh, I had a tough week. I was so tired from a race and I get to race today. It's, it's that superpower of just being the eternal puppy dog inside. Just, I'm excited to go chase something. I just want to chase it. And and the, the sport as a whole will try to take that from her unintentionally. They're going to interview her to death. They're going to throw sponsorships at her. They're going to do everything in their power unintentionally to make her take it seriously. And we're going to see if that Teflon exterior of her can hold up to all these things that people are going to try to force upon her, which is money, fame, attention, adulation, all these things that they're just going to throw at her. Will it stick or not? You two, Bracken and Kirk, when you interviewed her, she used to say that she only went like 90, 95% effort. You think she's finally doing 100% or are we still seeing her get by, winning a world championship, getting third in Big Bear, still not all out? She's well, learning. She's learning to get there, that's for sure. Yeah. She, she said... Uh, on the seventh run in her head, she apologized to me. She said, Oh, sorry, Bracken, I'm breaking my promise. This is a this is turning into nine and a half, ten out of ten effort. Okay. So and once she gets there, is this gonna hurt what she's able to do currently? Right. right? Like if she can yeah. push it to that place, her recovery is not gonna be able to to hold up as much, you would think. And she said she tasted that copper in the first half mile of Big Bear. Afterwards, she said, remember that I race at four fifths? Well, I was out in Big yeah. Bear and hurting. And it, she she did well with it. Yeah. But she is, like Kirk said, she's learning to take herself places. The fact that she finished the race at High Rocks and said, I felt pretty good the whole time. You don't. <laughs> Rich, have you ever felt pretty good the whole time at High Rocks? No. You could go out as slow as possible. You could do half the race at half and you still don't feel like good so. in the back half. Think about I, your progression as a runner coming up though. Like I know Jack, I guess you did you run collegiately Jack? I forget. You yeah, ran a couple of, couple of years. I was low okay. level, but yeah. Well, well point being is like you run in middle school and you and you try hard and you're like, "Oh, that hurts so bad. I learned how to race." And then you get to high school and you have another breakthrough and you're like, "Oh, I thought I knew what hurting was like. Now I really know what hurting's like." Then you get to college and it happens again. You're like, Oh, suffering. I thought I used to know how to suffer. Now I do. Then you find OCR and there's another level there, right? We all go through that progression as we learn, like accessing how to push. She's just three or two years into her. She's like a junior in high school, Mm -hmm. like understanding her body now getting comfortable with her limits. So the answer is yes. Like no doubt she's at that point now where she's like able to find it. And so I think we're finally seeing her real potential come up. 
And a key part of that middle school, high school, college progression is that you build to a new level mm -hmm. of fitness, which allows you to go deeper into hurt because you can live in that state longer. Yep. High school, by the time you're hurting, you're over because your lungs give out. And then college, your first couple of years, you don't have the volume underneath you to support that race. But by the time you're in your fourth, fifth year, you're sustaining hurt longer. Mm -hmm. Your pain face lasts longer. So not only is she going to learn it more, but then she's going to get more fit and learn to take it longer. It's, I don't know. It's, she's the type that you hope isn't a meteoric rising crash mm -hmm. because she has all the signs of impending doom, except she has none of those signs currently. <laughs> so who could walk, who could walk in and, and contend with her in this, in this arena, do we think? And Savage? Yeah. Who's got a shot to really walk in and, if Nicole wasn't hurt, would be it. I think any of the top Spartan <clears throat> people. I think Lindsay Alex would be Walker, able to take her. Alex Walker. I think if Annie was completely healthy, she'd be kind of, she'd be able to take to yeah. go with her. It's just we haven't seen the depth of the highest athletes in Savage yeah. uh, so far. Hmm. Prior to Big Bear, I said her unanswered because right after High Rocks, Matt asked the question, "Can we now call her one of the goats?" It's like no, like she hasn't. Well, prior to High Rocks, I said she hasn't had the world championship yet. She checked that off. I said, but now she hasn't gone to the big national series events and made a splash. Well, she's done that now. The last real remaining thing for her is actual speed. She's a right. great runner, but she's not yet a great, like fast runner. She runs well, but she's not scary to people that the top end, like she doesn't worry Emma yet on with her foot right. speed. I don't think she worries Alex or, or Rose or Annie or them, even if maybe she should, she doesn't yet because she hasn't yet got on a fast course and blown these women out. I was thinking about that. It's like what it would look like if she put on like a 5k speed block for six months, or like just big progression for yeah. speed. Like, cause that is the thing. Even when you watch a run, it's like, it seems like she's always just steady. There's not. Ida took it to her. Years. Ida took it to her. She did. So we need faster. We don't know though. Is she actually just that one who can do that? And she hasn't raced these girls and Florida was a weird day for her. Or does she still have another minute to drop off her 5k in the next two years? Yeah. I think the latter. Do we have That's any scary. 5k marker for Chris at all? Do we even have a clue? Has she, <laughs> she, ran, she ran a three mile at OCR stars um, in the 18s, I think. 18s. Mid 18s. Which is probably solo running four fifths effort. Yeah, who knows what she did the day before? Houston, Correct. Houston yeah. that was humid and pretty nasty conditions. Probably, but that, yeah. that's light work for her. So yeah, yeah, so it looks like the series is for her. She has two ninety nine of a possible three hundred points. Uh, Miranda Jareen, who's had a couple of really solid races on the podium in the past two times, shouts to Noob Sanity, and then Chrissy McFarland all have two ninety two. So that's mm -hmm. for the podium spot here. So there's going to be compelling races, compelling athletes to watch in Ohio, but the winner is pretty much locked up at this point. Yeah. I want to see Annie do one. Me too. Me too. Maybe next year. I mean, her elbow is just jacked. <laughs> like I couldn't imagine her doing something like like this right now. Might be a Did little she bit. come out of Big Bear worse for the wear? No, she actually was all right. Okay. She personal to... oh, personal curiosity here. Um, after the the last Savage Race series race, what does the end of what does their races look like after after that this year? Are they putting on races still? Yeah, they, they usually do like a fall and a spring, so they go to the same venues. In the uh, fall, then. Dallas, Georgia, Florida, for sure, still have a fall race. And There's we won't PA see another race. series. There's not a second half series. This will just be standalone paid races, but no series 
standpoint. I, I'm just entertaining it myself, so I'm asking for personal curiosity. Oh, it is Boston, Chicago, yeah. Boston, Chicago, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Georgia Fall, Dallas, Central Texas, and North Florida. So you've got so a lot of options. racing left. Got eight it. options. Yeah. Get out cool. there, maybe. All right. So moving on into uh, we had we had a lot of events, a lot of like niche sports to watch this week i was into the there's a couple crossfit events i was watching that stuff that takes a long time to watch then there was a deca fit that uh went down in socal a couple good athletes out there uh where else, what else was there Jack? there was a couple of spartans but there was the uh carlsbad 5k which on the website says it's the fastest 5k in the world is it is this true what? That's what it listed as. That's what it says. In terms of who they get to show up, and it always has fast pro times, it's a fast 5K. Yeah. I was looking at the course. There's a couple of hairpins. There's like two yeah. pretty yeah. hard hairpins on this. In fact, oh, I love watching that because that's where you see the difference of athletes on that turnaround. There was a year, I think Bernard Lagat was racing against some other people, and he turned on that so smooth and back up to speed. And I just thought, ooh, that's a, that guy can move. I feel like some you can't people, turn. they chop their steps, they yeah. turn slow, they wing wide. He just got there, pew, right back around. That was before Alpha Flies, I'm sure. Everyone now is tipping over. Going Sounds around. like yeah. Lagat would have been good at stadium races. Yeah. I mean, he's carry? like 115 yeah. pounds. I, I don't know if he can do a hoist. Dalen, Dalen Hercoist. <laughs> yeah. But, Jack, you, you knew that uh, Batris and VJ were out running this. Uh, Rene Mativier were, there was also out there who we've seen in some OCR events the yep. past couple of years. So you're like, hey, what do you guys think that Batris and VJ are going to run? And had us guess. I wasn't partaking. Kirk was out on the conversation too. But Bracken yep. had some guesses. So, Bracken, what was your initial thought when like your guesses for uh, Batris and VJ on, on these times? Well, I was with Macaulay, who's – one door over right now doing some work of his own. And we both said the same thing. Botris is always good for about 1440, 1450. He just walks around sub 15 shape and VJ's gotta be 1520 at the worst. Right. <laughs> As two people who have run 1530, 1540 and are slower than VJ, he's gotta be 1520. And we both said that, yeah, 1510, 1520 for him, 1440-ish for Mark. And you figure this is a very, it is a fast course. I mean, like the depth of this 5K, like you're going to get latched onto somebody and you're going to go. Batris ended yeah. up running 15.26 and VJ was 16.04. Um, so, Kirk, what do you think about those results for, for those two? Well, first of all, I like put it on myself and I'm like, how can I not beat a 16.045 player <laughs> on a race course? It, it made me feel a little bad about myself because I know right now, I think I could jump, put my shoes on right now and go run faster than that out my door. So I can't make sense of it other than this whole term we need to come up with. I, I was surprised. Granted, both of those guys had been focused on the mountains and Bracken and I preached to no end. Hill running translates to the flats, but it doesn't sound like they've done a whole lot of biomechanical efficiency work on the flats and maybe just maybe they're as human as anybody else in some capacity, but that's, I'm stretching it, right? Bracken doesn't yeah. like it, but like I'm stretching it here. I don't, I, I'm surprised. I, I'm not necessarily surprised to see botches in the 1520s. I think after a, a mountain race, thinking somebody's going to go run under 15, I didn't want to call it, but I would have expected VJ to be right there in the mid 15s. I think the unique thing about this is we have data points, a week apart from each other from 
couple of high level racers right there. So we we know what it takes. Batris and VJ on a fast, slow course, you know, a few months before, took one and two. And this is all they're running. It it's so remarkable. It's so out the window that I threw it out the window. I said, I don't buy it. I don't care. What what it tells me is that they all went through what about 450? Uh I think 455. 450 mid. Yeah. Yep. And the pack accelerated and VJ went <gasps> and then <laughs> and then he just you know how it is when people are just streaming past you in a fast race. You either get pulled along for the ride or you just get left and everyone stretches the gap. And it is almost impossible to be running hard as you're getting dropped. So I finally just said, screw it. I ran I ran 16 flat on a cross-country course. Just me and John DeWitt on the cross-country course, me doing a 5K time trial in base, like transitional base phase a couple of years ago. And I wasn't near the type of runs that these guys can run. And so a, I don't buy it. I think they cracked (laughs) and they bled, but B either it was coming down from altitude for VJ or they're not doing exactly what they say they do in training. Cause Bontras talks about how he's always doing one fifties and four hundreds and 600. He's always doing these got his, what his 42nd or what, what distances does he say? 25 second. 50 second and like minute 45 minutes. He has these distances that he does, but two of them are fast. And Macaulay was, he said, I don't get it because we've seen him do three to five by mile in four thirty five to four forty with a couple minute rest. He's done those things. So either they're not doing it currently because they threw it out the window to get ready for mountains, or this is just an anomaly and I don't care about it, but it doesn't make sense. Six weeks. That was the difference between slow and big bear are you really going to be 50 plus seconds slower if you put in a hill? Like, I just don't see that happening after, after having some good speed there. I don't know. I think there's definitely a level of familiarity you need, especially in a 5k at that back, <laughs> the back mile say, just but, but Batris went 455, 458, and then 535 for his last 1.1, which is about a five flat. So he really didn't crack. No, I just I'd don't expect think... him to go out at 440. Yeah. Listen, you're six days after Big Bear, right? Yeah. So we're six we're six days removed from Big Bear. And what is the hardest thing to do? I can I can speak this from personal experience. The hardest thing to do is run a longer, grindier race and then go run something shorter and faster. Mm-hmm. I would much rather run something short and fast and then go run a long grindy race. The chance of having both of those go well in that order is much yeah. better than the opposite running long grindy and then forced to run short, fast and sharp. I think if we're going to try to make sense of it, right. Cause we have to try your six days removed. You've got a lot of residual damage done in anything that's going to make you move quick. And the sting of that race out of the gates is so extremely excruciating comparatively to a grindy uphill 20 minute climb in big bear that I think you set they set themselves up timing wise to not be their best. And when you crack in a race like that, six weeks after already laying your guts out on a race course on a mountain, you just give up and you just bleed until the finish line finally staunts it is what happens. That's I, what I throw think. the times out the window. I don't I care. Don't, I think Batches' time is pretty good. And I don't think there's yeah. many athletes who are going to be agree. able to run that in like in OCR at all. I was more surprised. Why, than Why do you think that? Well, when, what's what did Lars Arneson just run? He was under. He was fourteen fifty nine after a speed block. I think we've seen. Okay. I think we've seen Woods do that. But who else has been that much under 
But 15, Mark's 30. been sub 15 constantly, and he outran Lars significantly on the last flat horse they did. I just yeah. no, I, I did an article. Is our sport um, that slow? I think it's pretty slow. Yeah. Does I, it this, just give us confidence? Does it just make us feel good that, hey, maybe we don't have to be that fast? I also think if you take a handful of all these athletes we perceive as fast and give them a real 12-week rip at running a fast 5K, we're going to see exactly what we expect, which is to be impressed with the depth of our field on the speed front. So there's also that side of the coin. Those guys ran low 420s head-to-head a year and a half ago. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's what well, I want. Go ahead, Jack. I was just going to throw in real quick. I think a lot of people overestimate Mark's PR and kind of lump him into the Ryan Woods category for maybe a 5K. But I wrote an article last year kind of previewing names to watch for the upcoming season. And in that, I asked Mark Batras what his 5K PR was, and it's 1427.6 from back in the day. So I don't think I think a lot of people kind of assume he might have been like a 14 flat, 13 high guy, but. He, he was a 1427 guy. So I think a lot of people within a minute of that. I think a lot, I think when you say a lot of people, there's not very many people who will understand the difference between that 1426 okay. and 30. I think most people in the OCR space think if you're under 16, you are the fastest person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. So yeah. that that's, and Kirk, that's one thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to come up with collectively come up with seven to 10 names, kind of put together a cross country style of a team for, if we were selecting a team for a road 5k of current athletes and, and with the pretense that these athletes had, you know, three to six months to prepare just for 5k, like who do we have at the highest end potential of this in, in a sport? Um, I think we should have it be to have had to have run a race in the past three years, preferably two races in the past three years. So, so Jack, I know you probably have like some 1349 guy who ran like San Jose in like 2012. That doesn't count. Oh man, that doesn't count. Uh, and then, yes, and that would have to be in like their current state of fitness, right? So we can't say Josiah from 2014. That doesn't count. Or Hobie when he was in his prime, who we have now. Do you think we could, do you think it would be possible if we put some stakes out there and we put together like a 5K fantasy draft and see how many of these guys we could mm-hmm. coerce into it? And and see how that shook out because I think like a guy like me, I'd be in right away. You know what? Screw it. I'd be in. Give people a month heads up. I think we could do something like that. Something we should think like about. Kind of we pull. should something in, in the off season or something. Get a get a road five mm-hmm. k together somewhere. Well, well, this might have to run it together. It. Just run it, even if it's a time trial format. But it would be very this might be the nail in the coffin for this new generation's better than the old. Hobie and Cody were both fourteen zero in college, oh. and. I don't think we're much slower in OCR. Like maybe they still, if they were 30, 35 right now, 35, let's give them 38 might still be going one, two at world championships. I don't see why not. I think that's fair. I think the talent at the top has always been world-class. It's just deeper now. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Apparently not. We can't come up with five guys who can run under 15 in the sport right now. (laughs) Overseas though. Overseas might be surpassing us. Yeah, but Hobie and Cody wouldn't be running sub-15 when they were in their middle of their sports prowess. Oh, yeah. In their mid-30s, you think that oh, yeah. Cody would have went out and run 14, 50 in a road race? Yeah, I think so. You don't think John Yatsko could have? Yeah, he won U.S. Uh, marathon and 50K trail races on back-to-back weekends or something like that. And was and he was doing what he did for OCR, Cody Moat. 
he ran all his college cross country and steeplechase workouts on terrain plus <laughs> plus long mountain runs i don't think he ever lost his speed yeah maybe yeah what i think we should do kirk is we should get this team together and put him in like a high school state meet and see if they can get on the podium <laughs> just any any <laughs> any state meet see how it goes okay. unfortunately the answer would be no it'd be hard it's crazy every state meet it's like you got a kid winning the 800 and sub 150 and somebody's winning the mile and 405 it's like what happened <laughs> alex walker's son is really good at running and she posted a picture yesterday he set the school record, eighth grade, 454 mile. There's a kid who ran an 11.200 meters and like a 210, 800. I'm like, that. that's like freshman level right there uh, in high school, not eighth grade or seventh grade. How about a uh, little Mark Batchers running a 542? Kid is nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First pick for me, I'm going to say Jordan McDougal. Yeah, it's a good one. Lesser known for most people, though. 14 yeah, he, flat in college, I think. Yeah, Liberty Man. Has his, he his older brother was the national champ and yes. four flat. But Josh, but Josh Are we Jordan, talking about what they can do currently? Like if we put them all in a 5K today where we think we're shaking out? If we gave them like October six 2022, there's a, there's a 5K meet for everybody. Okay. So everybody has time to work to what we believe is their perceived yeah. potential. October seemed like enough time as a... And 12, we just we just saw Jordan in was he in that Savage race in, in he was just at a race. We just made a podium at uh, Nationals Park. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And he won Nationals Virginia Park. a couple weeks ago. Nationals Super. Park was last weekend too. Loaded with niche sport last weekend. Um okay. So, that's a so good if one. he's your number one, then what do you think he could run right now? Let's I don't know number right. one, just the first one that pops to mind. He's been a team USA member for Mountain. He <laughs> ran D one at Liberty. He's got the pedigree. His brother was a one of the only American-born national champs of his decade for cross country. Yeah, that was it. Was it was really fun to watch back back in that day? Like it was mm-hmm. him and like he wasn't. He was kind of contending with Galen Rupp a little bit, right? Weren't they the same same kind I of year? Rupp was out. He may have been out, but they were much different difference in age. Um, good pick. Are we counting hybrid? Yeah. If we've only yeah. seen him in like Deca. Toot toot, Rich. Well, I've I've already eliminated. I'm out of this. I would be. I'm in this, but I'm you can out pick yourself. Well, I'm, we'll pick you it. for you, Rich Ryan. He I'm closed a ten miler in fifteen oh eight. You're in for sure, Rich, without question. Yeah. I'm in. I'll be the uh, an alternate, but thank you guys. Jack, what do you think you can do in October, Rich? We're talking about you right now. Don't deflect. If I if I had October, is this a track or a road? I think a track would be more interesting. Um. Yeah, I was saying road, just because that's what we Carlsbad was. Does it matter I anymore? I don't think it necessarily. Well, super I, shoes I, I'm to spikes. Minimize elevation. Who's the fastest pure foot speed guy? Yeah. Well, sure. yeah. I mean, um, I think I'm getting. I could fourteen fifty fifty five or something like that in yeah. October. I'm I'm I I'm bigger than I once was. I would take I'm fourteen fifty, and that's faster than my PR fourteen forty five at best. Okay. Yeah, what do you got? I'm going Sean Roberts. Oh, yeah. He'd be interesting. We haven't seen him extend. Would sometimes post these Instagram stories where he's at the track and he's like, that guy is so fat. And you know that he's moving. Woods Woods knows track speed. And I know he's he's lost a step or two since his fastest days. But 
Uh, Bracken, I'll let you fill in the times because I know Sean doesn't like being mis- misquoted on uh, his his PRs, but approximately what are they? Why would you ask me about that? Move on. Next question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he, he was uh, a, a very, very fast runner of Georgia Tech, roughly a four-minute miler. And w- was he sub-150 or right near 150 for the 800? Plus what's or that, minus. What's that translate minus to? Minus three. Minus three. 147. Damn. 147? Okay. He went and trained what? with Gags' group post-collegiately. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the New Jersey club. Yeah, yeah he was training for the trials. Yeah. We're saying he's 401. And he's, yeah. And he didn't get to run many. He was for sure a sub four potential guy. So we say that's but, like, the the Daniels formula says that's a 1353. Yeah. Okay, Which yeah, I hate the six. But from a mile to 5K, I think it's fair. Some people, if he's a middle distance guy though, it might not be. He, he ran an 820.53 for his 3K. So... He's got, he's my 800 says I'm running like 220 in a marathon. But that's like <laughs> that's not happening. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good pick. I actually didn't have him down here for some reason. And I did. Hmm. Um, Kirk. Well, I mean, I'll just take the low hanging fruit here. We just spent 20 minutes talking about him, Mark Botrus. Yeah, I got you it. know, give it, give him his time. Uh, he's. I, I still think he'd go sub 15 if you gave him. T- Gave him 12 weeks in a focus block. He's got to be at least on the cusp of that right now. Sub 15, 10. I think so. At yeah. 30, 37, 38 years old. I think so. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take lower it. hanging fruit. Lars Arneson just broke 15. Yeah. I'll take Lars. <laughs> Lars in this mix. Good, good. Uh, but what I really want to take is my own co-host, Kirk DeWint. I think, mix, you, Kirk. You went. I think you, I think that's good money spent right there. What do I you think, think he runs under fifteen twenty in October. I don't think that's enough to place top seven, though. Is that what we're going tops? Well, here's what my top question seven. is: I figured you guys would bring up Alvaro in some capacity. That was, that was who I was going to name next. It's like he, he's, he's never like, he's never run away from me, and I ran three races against him in December and February, and I shot myself in the foot in the ones I lost. So he, I would like, to, but he, but he is something special when he gets on clean terrain. He's got like another gear and stride that man uses so i haven't seen it yeah, on the roads but he is but he has the the connor mance the the uh leonard career all these guys he's short the shorter you are the faster you look and he is mm-hmm. extremely small so i believe he is fast but what do we he just ran 1550 in a 5k if you're I a 1450 guy yeah fifteen fifty. Yeah, I thought he posted some like 5K or 10K that was not as impressive that I It was within on. two weeks before or after oh, wow. you racing recently. Him. He yeah. just posted a, like a 10 miler. 10 milers. A 10 miler at 530 pace. He just posted yeah. like this week. So, but I don't know what that translates to. Well, right. I, I think he's a Kempston more than he's a Sean Roberts. I think, I think he's so. got functional speed more than track speed. Hmm. And and he looks so fast. I, I just raved about him on that on that last savage coverage in Charleston, because he, I, he's just so there's a different look. Botrus has it when he's running fast. Chris Brown has it when he's running fast and I'm choosing him next. The people who look different, he looks different when he's moving on clean terrain, but I don't think it's like forest forest. Bogue looks fast when he runs Got turnover. when he, he, he looks like he's always running 1500 meter form. The, the shorter you are, the faster you appear. And Forrest mm. isn't slow, but he's not running sub-15. 
Alvaro's hips are also up to his neck too. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you got for us, Jack? What has, what have some of these guys run? Um, Oh, well, I was, I was going to give my next pick. He actually broke 15 less than a year ago. Hawk call. And I like the fact that he's young as opposed to in his late thirties that, you know, speeds hasn't declined as much and the potential is definitely there to get back. That man's a long strider. How many athletes have we named already? We're at five. I think we're at we're at Jordan McDougal, Sean Roberts, Mark Batris, Lars, and Lars is another one. He's go first name. I like it. And then Hawk. Same. Um, Give me Kirk. Come on, Kirk in the mix. I, that's a stretch. That would be that would take some work. But I think you know you're it. sitting on them, and no one's closing that last three hundred with you. You might take get to the top seven if someone if like he's on the alternate squad. I'll, I'll, be, on the, the I'll be on the B team again. Like that's what traveling with the team. Yep. <laughs> what about um Anas Zahuri? Yeah, is he too big? Uh, No, he right. I'm a little big. Yeah, I'll be keeping in contact with him, and he's actually going for a sub two thirty marathon this fall. Um, Who is this? The guy. So was Hunter. (laughs) He just won the Deca SoCal. He's a three fifty eight, one forty nine indoor guy. College. You're in a school called. Cal California State University of Northridge, which is D1. It's like Big mm-hmm. Sky. Um, so Are they Big Sky? Uh, Big Mountain West, maybe. I forget. Whatever all those other California schools are. Um, so he's very good. I mean, he's put on some weight since then, but he's not that old. It's not like he's been he runs putting on weight too. for 10 years. Yeah, he's he fast. <laughs> he went 17-23 or 5 uh, for his 5K split at Deco, which – doesn't really happen off. Rich, what were you? Uh, I was like 17 0, 17 0. Second race ever. I'm on this team. That's still pretty solid. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, we picked Rich before him for a reason, but. Rich, do you have regrets that you just never decided to master terrain and obstacle flow? It was. Do you more... sit there? Because none of us sit here going, man, I'm just the fastest guy in this sport. But I don't, <laughs> don't want to run those races. And you do. Uh, yeah, not really. I mean, I just didn't have it at, at like the access to it the way I do now. Uh, and now I just don't really have, I don't really care to care to do it. I like these other races better. So no, good, good question. But no. Jack, if you had 1450 sitting there with just a few weeks of fine tuning, yeah, what would you, what would your thought process be? I'd be hopping in some competitive races to see what I could do. We got the. Uh, are you doing? Are you doing Colorado Springs, Jack? I, it all depends on how I recover from COVID. I'd like to. But oh, that'll be a that'll be way in the past in two and a half. Get weeks. over to Black it's Forest, Rich. Yeah, get over to Black Forest. Do some obstacle flow with. Yeah, man, I keep saying flow. I'm not like a Rich Diaz disciple. I mean it in like flowing through. I'm obstacles. thinking flow from progressive commercials whenever you say that. But go up to Fitfocker up in up yeah. in uh, I forget what yeah. town that's in Brighton. Yep. Kirk, you got somebody else here. Well, if I'm surprised that your old training partner, Mark, Mark Godet, hasn't been brought up because yeah. he's got the zoomies on the flats when he wants to. I mean, you guys ran that 10 mile time trial, and I mean, didn't he? He ran 1540 is probably part of 1530 in within that 10 mile. He ran a 5K and right, he ran fast. I mean, you ran faster, but he ran almost as fast. So I gotta imagine he would be making the team. If we're going 10 deep anyways, I think you'd have to put them on it. Seems like we're going 10 deep. Initially seven, but now we have alternates. Is KBB in there yet? Not yet. He should be too. Now we have nine. In slow, he ran ran away from everybody in slow with intention for about a mile of the race. Nobody could stay with him. And I don't think nobody nobody didn't choose to stay with him. I think nobody could actually stay with him for that portion. 
There are like five guys in overseas that need to be on this, yeah. but no, I don't we'll, think we'll, we'll do the US thing. But don't forget about Nick Mask. I like, was gonna say Nick Mask. Adam, I had his name in there. Him, not too removed out of college either. Yep, he won the OCR Dude. Stars Mile. What he ran four twenty three in that, yeah. and Boy. closed in a sixty. He ran it like a ran it like a dummy and, and like still <laughs> crushed it. Um, so yeah, I think if you give him a good block of of training on just road. I think he would just, I think, crush a 5K. Yeah. KBB, that's kind of offensive not leaving him out. I agree with you, Kirk. So are we leaving VJ off this list? Is it 1604? Just be like, oh, I guess we. he just needs some monkey bars. I think he gets to be wild carded in just because he's who he is. Well, now we're And right. Ryan Atkins. We're I'm going to put him people. in there because I want Ryan Atkins to nut up or shut up here because he <laughs> is always, not always, but twice he's posted, oh, I finally completed my goal. I ran a sub five, a sub 15 5k. And it's always a downhill trail. Like he's <laughs> run sub 15 5k, but he claims it as a PR. And if you're going to claim it, you got to be able to back it up. So I want him in there and I either want to him to prove that he can do it or admit that it was a trail 5k. You can't count that what? as a PR. Listen, I've run a 906 two mile in the last two months, so I'm clearly the heavy favorite. Count it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think Ryan Atkins is on the other team. He can be in the race, but I don't. I don't think he's on on the race brain team. Yeah. If you look up his PR, it's sub 15. <laughs> we have like 11 dudes now. It's too many dudes. We need international team USA versus yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah. Atkins can be on the world. And I was going to say Lars, but Lars, but ask Alaska is part of the United States. I will remember. Yep. Now, All right, now so- Bracken, I, I know you've got some specific people. Is John Albin your number one? No. I, I'd put him fifth, maybe. I don't think he has the pure top end speed. He, he can hold it forever, but I he's got to be in the top five. But I think there are so many fast Europeans that people don't realize. Yeah. All right, name. Just go, out, go ahead and name some names. No go ahead. This is your are. moment, Jack. Style uh, Jeremy Gachet. You, have you seen? Uh, he got tenth at Abu Dhabi. That guy's yep. form. It's Ryan Kempson esque. Just opens up. It's so smooth to watch. Ryan like Kempson 40. didn't make the the American team. Yeah. Well, I don't oh, know. Anash, Anash, is, Anash should be on the. He's French, so he should be on this team too. Anyway, <laughs> that, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> and then Gregory Basilico, guy moves. Um, I, I think he was like a high to mid mid to high 60s um for his half marathon so right around five flat pace names we didn't get on is uh derek york i thought we should probably be in contention here we didn't talk kempson didn't make the team and yeah vj didn't make the team yeah we didn't talk about josh mcadams he's 42 yeah to enter the sport he did uh montana and he's He's an Olympic steeplechase level runner. I think the number one that we're forgetting, Jack, is Seb. Oh, Hawkinson? No, Conrad. Yeah, that's his last name. Sebastian Conrad Hawkinson. Or Hawkinson. I go by his government name. Seb, yeah. <laughs> so he ran 13 what? In the last two year, three years, he ran he ran 1350-something, 53? Uh, he, he is probably 190 pounds. Freakish. And yeah, just just a freak athlete. The guy that the guy can move. Let's get him into a high rock. Sounds are like he needs to be there. Not to come back to the U.S., but are we officially writing off Ryan Woods at this point? Like a I year so. ago, he would have been one of the first three names mentioned. A year ago, yeah. Is that just 
done and gone now in our eyes? Is that well, we haven't mentioned at? anyone that we thought would be slower than 1520. And I don't know if no. he would say that right now he's sub 1530. I don't know that for sure. I'd like to have him in on that other team you're talking about with Atkins and VJ and Woods. I think Kemp's in. That's the team. This is like the show us something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe All Killian right. will coach it. We'll call it dark horse racing. <laughs> but Kemp will put him on the team too. He'll be the so Seb team. Conrad, we're going to have to have him on the podcast, Kirk, but he is about 190 some pounds. He's run sub 14 on the track. He ran a, now Jack, what did he run? Two. He, he was a, 227 marathon roughly and he also did he did one with a uh 40 pound weighted or a, a weighted vest on so that he was 100 percent 100 kilograms or heavier and he was like in the 230 high range 236 or 237 with with yeah. a weighted vest to get to 200 pounds does that count as no, our- no, two, two, that was 100 kilograms right so 220 yeah, like how tall count- is he at this 191 I think he's like six three. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. Because so if you look at his pictures, he, yeah. Oh, he doesn't look like Hunter. He's like Austin Azar, I'd say. I don't okay. even. I think he looks like, uh, like you Lars. Think you just take an Atkins and then make, stretch him out, and he'd probably have the same build. This guy doesn't even look muscular in his running pictures. Um, he just looks big. Yeah. He, so Seb Conrad's my number one. Since I know he can run sub fourteen currently, he was brought to pace Killian Jornet for a twenty-four hour distance record and outlasted him. Are you guys just naming runners now? I think we're just. Are we even no, in OCR he's, anymore? He's uh, Sebastian. He literally uh, he was second place at Ultra twenty four hour. He beat Aaron. Mm-hmm. He was like one lap behind Atkins. Oh, he was, he was that dude who yeah, just did burpees. Like, he just did like a thousand burpees. <laughs> so every yeah. time he came around, he just would do burpees instead yeah, of yeah. any obstacles. He was, uh, the, he was the Lincoln first on this. Albert Soleil. Yeah, oh, he's okay. legit. And he runs for Solomon, I believe. So who's the guy I'm blanking on? He's been winning the OCR series over there. Uh, Thomas Buell. Thomas Buell. I think he's mm-hmm. uh, mid mid to upper 14s right now. Yeah. That's, he, he just had a kid, so I don't know if he's necessarily – you know, in it, he didn't. He was. What was that? <laughs> yeah. He oh, didn't. Okay. Yes, he's dealing with the stresses of new fatherhood. Upset. It's like getting COVID, Jack. It's no excuse. <laughs> yeah. I won a world championship or a North American championship yeah. with COVID. I don't know what you've done. Yeah, that's true. None. Like, None. Let's be honest. Kelly won that. <laughs> <laughs> Brackets. I, I cracked after the skier. It's like, oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> the run after. This. Um, let's get into the women. We talked about about 30 men. Uh, yeah. For the I was women, just going to say Nikolai Dam also. He went 220 something in the marathon recently. So he's good. Oh, did he? Always yeah, good. He had, a, he had a really good showing at, at uh, uh, Abu Dhabi too. What was he like? Sixth or seventh? Fifth. Fifth? Fifth. Yeah. Fifth. Really strong. All right. So Renee was just, in, Renee Mativier was just in this race in the actual elite one. So they have like 10 elite athletes in the Carlsbad, 10 to 12 or whatever. And then they have like an open for everybody else. Uh, yep. Batris and VJ were not in the elite, um, but Renee was, and she finished sixth in what? 1644. Was it? Yeah. 1640 low. Yeah. 40 or 41. And I thought she'd crack 16. I think there's an obvious choice to make, but October is a bad time frame for Steph Steeples. <laughs> <laughs> Steph Garcia yeah. would be the choice. But she's going to be a whole lot of pregnant by then. Yeah. Or done being pregnant. What? what yeah. Yeah. No, she'll still be pregnant. 
She'll be right at her tipping point. I think you got to put Lindsay on the list. She yeah. ran 17, what, 20 something for the, for the three mile and OCR stars. Uh, yeah. and, and blasted a lot of good athletes in that. So I would definitely put her on here. If, if this is October, I think she'll be healthy. Nicole Miracle, like yeah. your mm-hmm. 5k. Yeah. I, I, I think she's probably the only person who can truly hang with Renee on, on the flat. Maybe. Oh, actually, no, I know Emma can, cause I was with Emma, her in, in slow and she was literally hanging. Probably put Faye on there. She's always sub 18. I would, I have, I have Faye standing on, on mine. We got to dis- distinguish Faye Morgan. What's her partner's name? Uh, uh, Jess McConnell. Does she count? Does she do OCR? No. She doesn't count. She did one, and it was, I believe, pretty and it, went, it went really poorly. Yeah. No, when, how count. long ago was that? Does it meet last, our criteria? Last fall, last fall she did one. Jack said three two, years. I, said, I didn't I say two races. I said two races in the last three years. So I think okay. she's done one. Okay, so she only done one. Doesn't count. He's out. If she did like a Muddy Buddy or a Dirty Girl race, does that count? <laughs> uh, uh, what, what was the one with the a color run? No, she that doesn't count. <laughs> okay. So, but Faye Stenning, how and she Faye the way she runs, it's surprising to me how good she is on show. She looks more like a road runner to me. It's like her mm-hmm. stride, like it looks yeah. really solid she on the flat. Just ran a f- road fifty k, right? Like a thirty yeah. mile or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one does thirty; they do a fifty k. But it was <laughs> it was right, like seven minute pace. Yeah, yeah I got really Faye solid. last year for like a turkey trot. She was somewhere somewhere in the seventeen range. Yeah, and it's usually low. Yeah. Yeah, she might be one of the top athletes. She might be in up there. And speaking of that metric that we still don't have a name for, Faye's ability to hold her top end speed, like regardless of gender, is just unmatched in my She opinion. might be the best compromise runner in the sport. Yeah. Isn't no Lindsay is without question. Cause you put you'd say Faye could probably beat Lindsay in a five K, but like Lindsay still schools her every time they get on course. Yeah. So wouldn't Lindsay be the best compromise runner in the I'm going team? off of High rocks and Deca for high rock. Yeah, that's that's I've never seen. I've never yes, seen sir. someone run better in high rocks than than Faye. She was high passing rocks. every guy when she was doing it. She and Lindsay has her downhill and uphill and technical stuff. terrain better, so it's hard to source it out. But on smooth, I should I should say in hybrid racing, there's no better compromise runner than Faye. Hmm. It's bizarre. She was sub thirty one for her 8K split. And that's like within a minute wow. of what Hunter and Kent are running. Yeah, that's yep. amazing. I'm going to go blast from the past here. Uh, we all forgot about her, but she's still alive and exists. Uh, Rebecca Hammond. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Three yeah. years. You gave me three years. She's Dead. been... Good one. Uh, and sure, she's just got a speed background. She could be the one to win the dang thing for all we know. So she's got to be in there. Yeah, Who just did one? Was that Alicia, Alicia Montano? Montano? Yeah. She oh, only yeah. Won. She only did Just one. one. It was only one? Draft only one. Jack yep. drafted her. And I was like, what? I did. That's, that's the like, <laughs> Olympian 800. Who else have you drafted? Because I feel like that's the list. That is the list. Whoever's oh, Jack's list. Just yeah. obscure. No, I do it on the wild cards. So, um, no, she's, say, she's we, only. I, I know I was big in Renee for, for a bit, but that's, uh, that's about it. And then I drafted um, her and then she did terrible. Uh, we didn't tell oh, we no. Didn't, Oh, no. No. oh, multiple races. Yep. Three Nell's years. It's in. No, no, no wins. That was 2019. Was it when she gave it a run? She did yeah. at least. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Is it? Close. It, was, it was March and February in Arizona. And no, Jacksonville. She, she did Alabama. Not Alabama. Oh, no, Alabama. Just Jacksonville. Still too early. Nope. She's out. 
Yep. You sure she didn't do Alabama? Statue of limitations. It doesn't matter. That was April. That was still April, yeah. I don't think she did calendar year. <laughs> uh, we didn't say we didn't say Ida. I'm counting yeah. now. She's on, on my team. Fine, I'm putting on the wild card team. I'll let her run so, for the guys' team. She could be on the men's team. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very official. Top, top yeah. runner on the men's team for sure. How about Miriam? You want to talk about looking fast for the part? Like her turnover, she probably does 200 steps a minute. She took out Tahoe. Or she's taken out Tahoe in the past like crazy. In a five k. You're taking a 43-year-old mountain runner. Yeah. You said no woods, but you're going to take Miriam because she has fast turnover? I, I think that Miriam is a better pick in a 5K contest relative to her gender right now. Uh, I don't know if she's on my team. She's on the wild card. I'm going to let her. Maybe. I'm going to let you draft no her run. early. Oh, man. Take out we're the offs. We have one. We're one collective team here. It's not just Jack's team being mm-hmm. terrible and we all get to benefit from it. We have one team. You guys are anti-Miriam. Through. Yeah. She did run away from the field in the first three miles of Seattle in 2019. Yeah. And that was relatively flat. That is three years ago. But she did run away from fast girls there. So it is possible. If, you if her uphill running translates at all, I'll give you that. And she's done some sky running. So is Lindsay, who gets all the benefit of the doubt. I didn't seen pick Lindsay. her. We've seen Lindsay do like 17, 20 something for three miles in the past like six months. I guarantee Eight. you, Miriam, it could be 17x. She, she could be there. Okay, well, who are we forgetting here? Um, is it Ashley? Ashley, who? Oh, hell I don't know. We got it's like a hundred Ashleys. <laughs> Didn't wasn't there a, a D one runner named Ashley? Which one am I thinking of? There's a Lauren She's, Stroud, is who I had to think. I was oh, thinking. you're thinking of uh, yeah, not Longfield. Who's the one? She's done some Deca. She's got some tattoos. That's who we're thinking of. Yeah, That's she ran. Man. I thought she ran at NC State. Who am I thinking of? It's driving me nuts. Yeah, she would be on the list. Jack, NC not State Lauren. runner. Definitely Woods. Ryan was it Woods. not NC State? She's got dark hair. Dark hair, tan. Dark tan. Oh, tattoos. Laura Cummings. Laura Cummings. Oh. Yeah. Laura Cummings got to be She went to UNC. UNC, not NC Laura State. Yeah. Screwed me all up. Ashley was what you your first I don't know why I said Ashley. Because there's like a, there's 50 Ashleys. It's like saying, oh, I think his name's Ryan wow. in this sport. Yeah. Yeah, he just tossed one out there. All right. Well, Laura, Laura, Laura Cummings. Sorry, yeah. I was, I was way really off on that. Giles marathon recently, so – I think she was a Foot Locker All American. Laura yeah. Cummings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Top 10 in the region. Okay. That's... What, so did she run in the what did she run in the marathon? 240, uh, 242, something like oh, that. Sure, at 240. She, she was well under the. And Lauren Stroud, ran, I think, ran 244. And we've yeah. seen her at a couple of She's couple broken races. 17 um, yeah. this She's year. Almost. Like, And she does it. She, she was around 80 flat pushing a baby stroller for half marathon. So decent runner. Yeah. Was it her baby? <sighs> Just a stroller. No baby. In that it. matters. It's one thing for a pro to grab a baby stroller. It's another thing if she had the baby and now she's no, pushing it. She's, she's a mom. I think she has multiple kids. My question stands. Yeah. yeah whose baby was in that in that stroller? We have nine. Are we overlooking Rose Wetzel? Throw her in. Why not? She's earned it. She ran Olympic trials. Bracken said Did she's she? an ultra runner from now on. I don't know. Well, sort of. I said that, yeah. Yeah. She hasn't yet reached out and asked me to coach her to the Spartan Ultra Championships. It's weird. It seems seems unbelievable. 
Um, all right, I think we did it. <laughs> all right, yeah. so we got 10 dudes. We have 30 dudes. I don't really want to go through the whole list again. We had 10 women if we had a team to put together for our top 5K there, athletes. There are two Europeans who would 100% make this. We saw her in uh, Trifecta World Championships, Esther. Um, she's Puerto Mayaga. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, she I am muted her. to say that. What was that? Oh, but she was the only person to uh, hang with Nicole, realistically. Nicole said she's super fast. If Nicole says that, then she's buying into her. Well, um, we got another one to add. Now you just reminded me of something. Who's the blonde chick that hung on to Nicole Miracle from down in te- down? Not blonde. Um, she got she burned that sheet. Reagan. Tia Reagan. Yeah. Well, Tia Reagan's got to be in. Have we seen she her in the in, past? She was like fifty-five for a ten-miler. She was she could move. So what's a worse descriptor? Ashley instead of Lauren or blonde instead of brunette. And and yeah. she has a brunette and she's brunette, brunette for sure. I fail. I failed her. <laughs> yeah, no, but great. you're right. She's she's quick and she's got staying power. Yeah. If you can run five thirties for ten miles, I think that you're gonna run sub eighteen in a five K and you make our list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's in. Yeah. So who who's gonna win each of these races? Amen. <laughs> I don't think Mel's in it though. Like <laughs> Well, yeah, if, N- if Nell's in it, well, I think Renee, if Renee, Renee's got to be in it. Nell's faster than 16. She can hold that for a marathon. Well, Nell was disqualified. She's not in the race. Oh, that's true. It's yeah. been several years. She's not coming back. Um, Renee wins the women's race. Jack, you work for someone, unlike the rest of us. So in your office setting, do you go by date of employment or calendar year for work benefits? not an hr um i know that what's more common it it was it's i get my like you've been here this long and it's all based on the first like july 2016 when i started my company like shoot relative to that (laughs) why well here at crocker enterprises we go by calendar year (laughs) his argument's been foiled oh you're trying to plus the three years trying to get nell in nell's out out. she's date of employment she's gone I don't lie. <laughs> Renee probably would win. Most likely. I think I think Sean Roberts is going to win on the men's side. Still young enough. Muted. Franken's muted himself again. For the U.S., I think Hawk wins. Yeah. You think you can make an argument for everybody in the top five or yeah. seven that we listed? Sean should, but we don't. I don't know what he can run in a five k. I don't think he's ever like tried. Right. But now, even even training for a 10k distance savage race, it's got to have a little, some base under mm-hmm. there. Uh, even even running 4.0 low, you're doing some running. You can you could put together a 3.1. My 5k PR came for from training from a Spartan Super. There we go. Maybe that's Not- why that's what my PR is. <laughs> Maybe I need to <laughs> do a little 5k training. And that was Spartan bit. Super when they could go an hour and a half. You were really right. training for like a half I mean, mile. That was eight, eight to 10 mile. Eight Correct. to 10 plus is, I believe, how it you was You were listed. training for a 75-minute race. That's what that was. Yeah. yeah. Got a, got another question on this? Kind of the opposite side. So who has had the most success in OCR without being a phenomenal runner? On paper? Yeah. Isaiah Vidal. That, mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I was going to say, wasn't it Vijay? Maybe even yeah. Hunter. Mm-hmm. There are a lot Ryan of Atkins. 
Atkins, yeah. yeah. All of the best OCR athletes. <laughs> <laughs> but would Isaiah have been with a minute of them in a 5K or something? like In his prime? Probably not. The women's side's full of them. All those women, except for a handful, yeah. came up from no running background. Yeah. yeah. Alyssa Holly so, as a softball yeah. player and like that was like the question that I had after looking at this this list because a lot of it, a lot of this with the women's side, it's like what we think they could potentially do. Yeah. Uh, where on the men's side, it's like no, this person has run you know, four ten or whatever. Like there's just less high end runners who come in on the women's side. It seems like mm-hmm. we get this all the time. Messages sent to us about something in running they'll say i know i'll never i'll never be i'll never reach my ceiling like those people that ran high school and college and i always think like whoa whoa, whoa. you might be a better runner for not mm-hmm. having run high school and college. you have no sense of your ceiling you have no sense of how to pace you're just going to attack and run and attack and run and some of the best people in the sport did not run college yep. it's not a kiss of death to have run college but it's not a requirement to be a world champion either no no, but to really, it's what Kirk said in the beginning. It's like learn how to get to those levels of yeah. pushing and pacing. It helps. <laughs> it definitely helps having a running background. If there's one takeaway from the last hour, it's that not a single running metric matters in OCR. And we need to create our own. So if you have a, if you have any ideas about what to call this running metric? It's going to be like a warp or whatever. It's going to be like maximum available under duress or something like somebody that. Like sent me, somebody sent me a suggestion, an acronym, and then my birthday happened and it got lost in all the messages <laughs> in my inbox. And you can't search by keyword in Instagram messages and it's the it's, single biggest drawback. So whoever you are that personally messaged me, and I actually liked it. Send it again if you can, if you're listening to this. That'd be great. Bracken, the one you just said was it's mod. M A U T. I like it. Maximum available it. under duress. Under duress. Mod. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I think it's we mod. figured it out. All right. Never mind. You don't need to message me. Yeah. I got it. You can, but we're still going to call it mod. Whatever call your it mod. <laughs> so, so, what's your mod? What's your mod score? Oh, yeah. And then we got to figure out what that, what numbers it is. That'll be for the next episode. So, Let's wrap this thing up. We've been going for already too long. So make sure to check out. Uh, we're going to get a YouTube up and running uh, race brain on YouTube. So you can watch us talk instead of listen to us talk. Make sure they haven't seen one thing we've talked about yet. Not yet. Are you going to backload them? Maybe. Yes. Maybe the last one. It's all screwed up. But yeah, we can do it. You're going to put the uh, Abu Dhabi broadcast. <laughs> I mean, that's what the people love. People oh, yeah. love that one. Riveting. That's that is still the number like that's the number one most watched on my YouTube, but only because I think people come and they're like, "What the fuck?" and then they just leave and like, like the <laughs> yeah. percentage of what was watched that engagement is like single digits, I think. <laughs> but don't short sell us short. That was dynamic. We that did a good epic. job for what we had, and we'll. And do this year again. we have Kirk. Yep. Yep. We'll have to see if we could do something for Mexico if ever, if anyone's around for that one. Kirk might be racing Abu Dhabi. I don't know what the hell I'm doing this year. So you're hanging. Sounds tight. like you're doing it. Sounds like you're doing a 5K in October with the team. Maybe, maybe I am. All right, that's it. I'll try to wrap it up. Wrap it up again. See you, fellas. See you. Bye.